Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Scroll Podcast brought to you by the Adventure Archive. My name is Ryan, and with me today, we have a special guest co-host. Special. Anyone who's Right? Anyone who's watched the show for a while will actually remember our first episode was Jason and I. Um, so with me, um, and for those that can't see on the podcast, is Jason. How's it going, Jason? Great, man. Happy to be here. Happy to uh, revisit the podcast as a uh, co-host. It's awesome. It's good yeah. to have it's great. Uh, for those who also don't follow us as much on YouTube or the actual play side, uh, you should go subscribe to our YouTube. Um, but Jason is our Merkborg, Death in Space, I think like Thursday what? slash Free yeah. League, Whatever Stockholm game. Cartel. Yeah. yeah. Um, our, our, uh, our only DM right now running games. <laughs> so, uh, so go check out those actual plays. We just finished a Death in Space actual play, and I think we're starting another one next week. Next week, Search and Salvage, which just got dropped by the uh, Stockholm Cartel guys. So don't read Fantastic. it yet because we'll be running that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll be a good time. I'm really excited for that. And then, um, and 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 again, I, I don't know how often we've said this on the podcast. We are the Weekly Scroll, but we are under the Adventure Archive umbrella. And the podcast is just one thing that we do here on the channel. Like I said, Jason runs those games. We ran a, a dark fantasy game for two years, and I'll be starting to run games again. So if you do listen to us on the podcast, go check out our YouTube. Uh, check us out here on Twitch, um, and you can see us do our actual plays um, of games as well. I have some interesting things coming up um, as soon as I actually get around to starting it. Uh, so that'll be fun. Um, but today... We are going to be going over uh, a really cool game that I wanted to go over for a while, uh, and uh, and it's, it's interesting. We'll 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 dig through it. It's fun, like we normally do. It's been a while since we really did a full episode, so we're going to do that. Um, and it is Eyes Beyond the Torchlight. Yeah. So this in my hands again for you people in podcast world is the Eyes Beyond the Torchlight box set. Um, which is which is fantastic. Um, we're gonna go through our Kickstart the podcast real quick, and then um, as we get into the game, I'm actually gonna crack open this box set and show everybody what's in it. Because um, as far as I know, there are still some available from the creator Scott Myers. So we'll dig through that in just a minute. But as we uh, as we try to do most times, we are going to kickstart the podcast, which is this window right here. Here we go. Uh, so uh, it's been a while since we did an in-depth Kickstarter, so I think we've got four projects to go over today. Um, I uh, We're going to start with this one. It's really interesting. It's called Hieronymus Garden of Earthly Delights Edition. I, um, an apocalyptic horror RPG inspired by the works of the medieval artist Hieronymus Bosch. Whether you know who Hieronymus Bosch is or not, as soon as you see the art, you know who Hieronymus oh, Bosch no. is. Like, you've yep. seen this art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had never heard of this game, and this is actually the second edition or the reprint of of this game, uh, which is um, interesting because of how fucking cool it is. And I'm sad that I didn't get one of the original ones. The only place I've ever seen it, and it was actually recently, was on um, Floating Chair Club, sold out uh, from the wow. first edition. So um, I'm actually really, really excited. I saw this. The, I mean, every all the a lot of the creators that that I follow on Twitter, as soon as this dropped, were like, you should check this out. So I think it was Adam Bass who I saw first. It was like, this looks cool. You should get it. And I'm like, well, if Adam Bass says you should get it, I'm going to get it. Um, yeah. But then I saw it, and it's really cool. So so actually talking about the project now, um, it is fully funded by a whole lot. It's got about 10 days left to go on it. Um, but it says right here, in Hieronymus, 
you play a group of refugees fleeing an astral terror known only only as the follower as it pursues you you rip your way through reality into strange worldscapes inspired by the paintings of the medieval artist Hieronymus Bosch, the follower only a few steps behind. What will happen when it catches up to you? What strange worlds will it tear apart in its pursuit? And is there a way home? Sounds Super cool. interesting. Right? I, I like this? Those, yeah, for those of you, sorry to interrupt, but in podcast land, oh. it's got an interesting format. So oh, yeah. it's A4, but it's like landscape. So yeah. it's kind of coffee table book looking. It's like it's a really nice looking book outside of just obviously the the source material. Yeah, bringing it up here for the 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 mock up of the cover. Yeah. It is it's a really it's a wide book like you just said. Like it it's it's, <laughs> it's not wide. it's not a normal sized like there's a couple books that we've had that were kind of like wider like uh like Warpland and Neurocity. Yep. Are kind yep. of like a wider format book but this is a very narrow like short and wide book it does look like the book was just turned sideways and yep. it's it's long it's it's super interesting yeah um, which makes me wonder i always think about like book format and use of the table too so it's kind of curious to see if if maybe this isn't meant for that or if it's just kind of like a a nice art piece to reference if you need it but yeah, I'd be really curious. I know there is uh, um, an original edition. It actually says uh, it was originally released in 2021 to acclaim and saw a limited print run. Now it's back to fun, the expanded Earthly Delights edition. New maps and content, new character playbooks, expanded guidance, a whole bunch of stuff um, with writing from Laurie O'Connell. And obviously most of the art is by Bosch and the layout is by Chris Bissette. Uh, who we've talked nice. about a bunch on the podcast. Oh, he yeah. runs Luther Room um, and uh, runs a great a great blog uh, there as well as a shop and a, and a store and everything. Uh, I think my most recent um, post on Instagram was Regicide, which is actually still like right over there, which was a really a really cool, incredibly tongue in cheek adventure <laughs> that was done really really well. And, and the layout looks great. Um, so he's yeah, they they're they're great to do to that with. Um, so what is Hieronymus? It is a tabletop game for a group of up to five people with one of those people taking a facilitator role within the game, which is basically the game master. Um, each player takes on the role of a period appropriate character defined by a playbook. Um, there are characters such as scoundrel, priest and merchant, um, and they can give their own spin to that. And all players help interpret the surreal artwork to determine the challenges and landmarks uh, the characters navigate. Um, Hieronymus is a hex crawl for people who've never heard of the word hex crawl before, but finally art speaks to them. So we, we love a good hex crawl. We do uh, love a good so, hex crawl. We ran yeah. a hex crawl not too long ago. Yeah. So this looks really neat. Um, what's in the book? Rules for the character. Dice, simple dice mechanics. So it says to resolve the situation when the outcome is uncertain, players simply roll a six-sided dice to figure out if they succeed or fail, taking stress when they fail, and indulge their sins when the stress becomes too much. So interesting stress mechanic. A lot of games are are moving away from D20s into D6s, which I can't tell you how much I love. Love a good <laughs> D6. Um, yeah. And uh, I like the stress first with, with a, it seems like an indulgence afterwards. And that tells you something about the game right away. Stress doesn't become something like trauma or scars or anything like that. It becomes sinful indulgence. Right. So that, which, you know, that seems... I always love a good rule set that is you know, conducive to the setting, you know, like it, it yeah. feels like it, it fits. So that's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, the rules, the rules, the language of the rules and the rules themselves are the game. And when the rules can help define the setting, I, I love a good SRD. Don't get me wrong. 
Um, but when there are rules specific to the the world you're playing in, I feel like it really helps with yeah. immersion and with with a, with the drawing like a, a a stronger sense of um, understanding to the rule set itself yeah. when but, when the narration fits. I think the one thing I'd be curious about is replayability. Yep. I mean, I guess it's we'll find out. It is a hex crawl. You just, you just bust yeah. out, and you know, you, for a different group of friends or friends, or if it's, it's kind of has some legs to it. But yeah. We will we will find out whenever this whenever this drops. Yeah, and there's a hardcover too out there, special edition hardcover. Oh yeah, I mean, so. come on. Yeah, you Which, backed that one, I'm sure. Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> um, so yeah, a couple of different war tiers here. You can get the PDF download; it's only ten pounds. Um, soft cover is only fifteen pounds. Hardcover copy is thirty five pounds. Um, and then you can do a community pledge where you get a hardcover, a personalized thank you, and you put five community copies out. I love, we've talked about this before on the show, the community copies are, are fantastic. Um, it's a great way to, I mean, one of the things we review on the show is value. Um, and one of the reasons, because people have asked about it before, why do you do value? It's because if I can't afford your game, I can't play your game. Yep. You know, so it's an important part of the, the, the game and the industry and stuff like that. And community copies really help people that, maybe are um, uh, unable to afford awesome games like this, be able to still have access to the games, which is fantastic. Accessibility is incredibly important. Um, so yeah, it's Kickstarter exclusive, four extra character sheets, an accordion print of Garden of Earthly Delights in the hardcover print version. So that is uh, that is uh, Hieronymus, written by Lord O'Connell, managed by Matt Sanders of Sealed Library, um, another great uh, creator. Um, and then, as I said, laid out by Chris Bissett. So, Hieronymus, uh, it is funded. There's 10 days left. It's going to end on the 28th. Still looks great. Highly, highly recommend checking it out. Um, with the people associated with it, it's fantastic. With the number of different awesome creators that are excited for it as well, this should be really, really interesting. So, that is a cool one. Uh, do you want to do um, our cyborg supplement, or do you want me to keep yeah, reading let, through? Well, no, go ahead. I mean, I, I checked it out already. I actually backed it already. So, it's... Uh... Darknet Filth, a cyborg supplement by, you know, a guy we talk about pretty often. Once on or twice. <laughs> Once or yeah. twice. Yeah. Um, but it looks like he he has a plan for it, right? So it's this really nice book, obviously, but it's not nothing set in stone yet. Um, he says he has a, he, basically right here, you'll have a good mix of whatever I'll cook up. I have plans for two short adventures, a table, digital, viruses that infect careless punks, a bunch of cool items to fiddle around with, a few website and some of some sort, meaning locations on the net, new apps, et cetera, et cetera, monsters and so on and so forth. So you're kind of like buying into his his uh, his his uh, his ideas, I think, at this point, which, you know, are always going to be great because yeah. he's got tons of stuff. Mark Borg, yeah. uh, now Cyborg. So. And for the, for those in podcast land uh, who don't see his name on the screen, is Christian Icorn. Oh, who, sorry. Again, that. We, we, we've talked about quite a bit, and I'm really excited to see a lot of the Merkboard creators that we've we've followed and backed for a long time switching over to not not completely switching, but really digging into Cyborg as well, Astro Lich, Philip mm-hmm. Reed, uh, Christian Icorn, a bunch of other people. Um, so so really really great stuff, and um, I, I think this is the first one, or maybe it was his last project, but I know that Christian has. Um, switched over to uh, PDF uh, fulfillment through drive-thru RPG, but print fulfillment, yep. instead of doing print-on-demand through drive-thru RPG, they're doing mixum printing with distribution from Cardboard Monster, who is, I think they're, I'm, I'm pretty positive they're based out of Australia, um, but they do a lot of really cool um, 
things for the industry, they have a, a slow funding uh, on their website where you can put a project on there and basically like say you need, and maybe I'm saying this completely wrong, but say like um, they will print it and distribute it once 25 copies are bought. And it can just, it can take as long as it wants for those 25 copies to be bought. But as soon as those 25 copies are bought, boom, they send out those 25 copies. So it's a way to um, make sure uh, the game gets uh, where it needs to go without, you know, a lot of overhead and without a lot of like extra um, uh, extras of the books that end up sitting somewhere or anything like that. So it's a cool way to do it. I know that his last project um, is or one of his projects uh, has a hardback version. I think it's Purgatory on Cardboard Monster. Uh, so that that's nice. a cool one. And for us completionists, uh, we'll probably end up backing to make sure we have all their stuff. Um, but yeah, this looks really cool. Uh, I think this is their second cyborg project. I know they have one that yeah, finished and is currently. The, uh, what is it? The cults of the Hadron Lamb. Hadron Lamb. Yeah. And for you art nerds out there, he's also been posting a lot about using this cool AI art generator called Mid Journey, which I've personally been messing around with a lot. And that is actually the cover of the uh, the Lamb one. So that was generated there. I'm sure he did some touch up and uh, oh, you yeah. know threw his art skills into the mix, of course. But kind of cool. But yeah. Yeah, this one looks really neat. It's uh, this seems like a oh, and 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 here what I just talked about. Um, this is the cover for the Cult of the Hadron Lamb here on the left. Uh, those in podcast land, you'll have to come look at it. Um, and then yeah, Purgatory is the hardback version. Um, on uh, Cardboard Monster that you can go back right now. Um, Purgatory was a great book. Is Purgatory the one that you're in? No, 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 no. I don't think so. Which one? Which to... one? Because I put you in I... one of them. I'd have to check the uh, the the the, the backlist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You 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 add, yeah. I'm a, I'm a character. Well, someone. You're a, yeah. Put me. your adventure seat in there. But yeah, this looks yeah. really really beautiful. Like flipping through the book, um, it looks fantastic. Uh, and um, as he says here about his about me section, we've talked about Christian much. He did a bunch of five E stuff. Um, and then he switched over to do some amazing stuff, and it just keeps getting better and better. And the layout on this looks absolutely gorgeous. Like oh, some yeah. of these pages He's... right here. He's one of those rare talents that is an amazing designer, artist, as well as writer. So um, yeah, and hope, fucking hope prolific. Like how many prolific. how many Merkborg and Cyborg projects has he put out in the past two years? It's yeah. crazy. Well, I mean, for those of you who don't know, he, this is this is his gig. This is a full time gig. Yeah. So this is what yeah. he does. I mean, he's living the dream, yeah. I guess, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, because basically, as soon as one project is funded, most of yeah. what he does, like it's mostly done by the time he puts a project out. But basically, as soon as one funds, the next idea is already on. Because, I mean, I haven't even got Hadron Lamb yet, and Dark Knight Felt is out. And I guarantee there's two other ones in the queue ready to go. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, as far as being a creator and actually being able to just, like, make this the job, you know, it's that's awesome. And I, and I think it's 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 probably, I can imagine that it was probably a little bit refreshing to to have Cyborg drop and be able to dig your teeth into something oh, other yeah, than something Merc Borg a little bit. Spite how yeah. amazing Merc Borg is, yeah. Yeah, well, Cyborg's um, not even technically in retail yet, so he's getting a big yeah. jump on it. Oh, huge jump, yeah. I mean, we obviously have it. We've talked about it. We did oh, yeah. um, we did an episode on it. We did all that. Um, but when it hits retail, that'll be really fun because I do think we have plans to run an actual play as, as, yeah. uh, as it's coming out, hopefully yeah, towards the end of this year. Oh, at least I mean, yeah. We're not sure when we're gonna run it. We just know that we're definitely going to run it. Maybe soon oh, yeah. later. We'll also talk about lots, it. lots of plans. We got, we got more, more Death in Space in the works. We got Cyborg in the works. We got Mothership coming out at the end of the year. It's, it's oh, gonna yeah. be an interesting end of the summer. So, 
So yeah, uh, the next one I want to talk about is The Big Squirm, uh, which is from, uh, it's a hard-boiled role-playing game adventure by Luke Gearing. You play as private investigators above the mean streets of Troika. So we, we, we did a Troika episode a while ago. I think that's one of the ones that I did solo, and it's actually a two-parter where I really dug in to uh, the best laid-out book, most functional book I've ever read in my entire life. Um, and it is Troika. Which, you know, I really enjoy Troika. Um, how do I say this? Like, <laughs> I really enjoy how, Troika. How do you say it in a positive way, right? It's Without... not even positive. I'm not trying to say a negative. I like it. I really love it in, like, in the scope of, like, TTRPG mechanics. It's really cool. Yeah, it's yeah. really unique. I really yeah. like the way it works. It it just has never, like, I want to play really bad because when I yes. read the rules, it just, the style of the gameplay just I don't feel like it would be like I'm not drawn to be like fuck I want to play this game so bad I love right. I love these I parts of it but from like an intellectual like like rules standpoint it's really fucking well done like it's such yeah. a great game and I know a lot of creators love it for just kind of like how open it is um right. you know like you can throw so much at it um and it's so like narrative centered and so um easy to do like something like this versus something um maybe like some goofy space thing or or you know uh, like wet grandpa or something like that you can do a million things with it um and it's an amazing vehicle for really really creative um, narrative driven uh uh creators so what is the big squirm and for those of you don't know daniel cell like it they are melsonian arts council which is who puts out troika um so this is another project uh they had a recent one come out called um uh it's i'm gonna completely blank on the name but it's the metagorgos um uh i I honestly don't follow truck that much so you'll have to oh okay well i will have to uh damn it now i'm gonna be fixated i love the layout of this though i mean you can see it like it it's it continues with the uh, standard that the the core rulebook set where really nice clean pages it reminds me a lot of what Johan Nord did with uh, the Into the Odd Remastered, where it's kind of like yeah. art heavy on one side, clean text on the other, super readable. Um, so I I appreciate that standard from like a layout perspective, definitely. I'm uh, I'm gonna fixate really really hard on this project until I remember what it's <laughs> called. So I'm gonna look at it. The Ruinous Palace of the Metagorgos uh is another recent project they put out because troika um at least as long as i've had it was really troika and like four or five adventures um like as a death fantasy which i believe was gearing as well um and but lately uh they dropped uh metagorgos uh which is actually written by evie lockhart and it looked really beautiful and then this came out as well so they're really pushing not pushing but putting out some really really cool content lately um but yeah the ruinous palace of the metagorgos looks fantastic and that i think is the game that i want to start with troika because my fucking edgelord ass um of course wants to play the like this, fucked up dark the dark yeah, one yeah but this um, looks pretty damn cool because this is not honestly something i would have expected from troika no because i mean this I, I know it's specifically like looks really interesting fantasy yeah. or you know whimsical fantasy or whatever but this this looks a lot different i love this this hard-boiled yeah. kind of uh you know adventure and it's so to actually the GM screen holy shit oh yeah First and GM and it, 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 it put out like some funding to make it even better dm screen it's the only one they're going to get to actually talk about this project though because i know i just ranted and, and tangent <laughs> really really bad 
Uh, squirming the big squirm, despite his privilege and reputation, Downgate Arches has worms. They slither down the support chains, snacking idly upon animals, citizens, and visitors alike. Assassins play poison dart tag in the open space between the banging buildings. They have been dispatched by aggrieved parties. All have paid out small fortunes for ownership of yet unborn scarfworm futures. The chains of custody are long and spectral. Speculation was rampant before the pretender worms began to hatch. And when they did, the crash hit everyone. These were no scarfworms. Welcome to the Big Squirm, a hardball detective role-playing game adventure. In this adventure, players take the role of a private investigators uh, working for one of several factions embroiled in the mystery of the missing scarfworms. Players will search, steal, and trade for clues, exploring a wealthy neighborhood in the infinite city of Troika. What they uncover will have massive implications for your ongoing campaigns and provide a huge amount of gameable material to take your game even further into the weird and infinite city. The clear goals and open-ended creativity of the Big Squirm is also the perfect way to introduce new players into the world of Troika. And Troika is a great introduction to the world of role-playing. And then a couple oh, images here, like you go. said, that are really, uh, really cool layouts. What I like about this, and one of the things I wanted with Metagorgos and this is, and again, I've talked about this with a bunch of projects. For me personally, um, I like I like structure. I do better with a little bit of structure, a little bit of lore, a little bit of something. And when I've read some of the Troika things, I think Troika is... is too loose. It's a little too it's loose. loose. It's so yeah. loose. Yeah, you know what I mean? I, like I, That's me. Like For people who don't have a ton of time, like these kind of games, while I can appreciate them appealing to that audience and they, they allow all this creativity, man, I, I just, I need a little more guidance because I don't have time to yeah. make everything up personally. That's just me though. Well, and that's how I felt with some of the early adventures, but with Metagorgos and with this, where it feels like a little bit more defined adventure in it, as yeah. opposed to like, here's kind of a setting, here's a background, do what you want yeah. with it. This feels like a real adventure and like a real thing to like bite my teeth into. So between Metagorgos and this, like it just said, I think this is going to be a great intro to Troika, and I'm super excited to see this project um, because I did really enjoy Acid Death Fantasy, even though it is kind of more of like a setting. There's no real yeah. adventure to it. Right. Um, but Luke Gearing's and and I mean, if you don't follow Luke Gearing um, or the Violent System um, and their uh, uh, blog at all, you absolutely should. They're they're an amazing creator, so definitely go check out their stuff regardless. But and if this is your first intro to Luke Gearing. It's a, it's a, it, hopefully it looks like it's gonna be a great intro. So go check that out. Um, further going down here though, uh, rewards, uh, there's a pledge for 10 pounds for a digital copy, uh, 30 pounds for it in print, it's an A5, an A5 hardback, saddle stitch, full color, um, 48, 48 pounds for the Troika, uh, hardback book, the luminous edition, the numinous edition and the big squirm. That's a good price. Troikum often will have deals on uh, like their starter pack, and that's how I originally got it. But there is a deluxe bundle for seventy pounds where you get a whole load of Kickstarter deluxe. exclusive items. You know, know which you one I that. fucking backed. You want if you, you want know which Ryan one I got. Your Kickstarter, just put deluxe or collector, and you got. Them. Just give me a Kickstarter exclusive <laughs> cover, maybe yep. some foil. Yep. Uh, it's the reason I backed like Blade Runner and Blade Runner instantly too. So the deluxe bundle gives you a GM screen, which is the first time Troika will have a GM screen. So I'm super fucking excited for that. Yeah. Um, there will be a poster map, character sheets, um, initiative tokens. Which for those who don't know Troika, real quick, their initiative is called the Stack, um, and you actually throw a bunch of tokens for all of for everybody, all of the people in the battle into a bag and then or whatever and then draw them out to see who goes really interesting way to do it it's a real center of of the game especially in combat so to actually get 
the next thing, also a bag and initiative tokens. Really, really cool idea. Um, and that's definitely gonna help at the table to be able to not just be like, let me get like, you know what I always envisioned in my head every single time I've ever thought about this? Do you know the colored stones you can put at the bottom of a fish tank? Yeah. That's yeah, exactly yeah. what I always thought of. Like I would just go oh, buy okay. like a couple a couple of each of those. Yeah, that's I what always a lot of jumped guys into my head. Using those for like Magic the Gathering trackers or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then if you want to do $495, you get an original piece of artwork. I held oh, off on that. Oh, you yeah. held off. No way. Okay. It's all gone anyway. It's all gone. Mm. There are four, only, uh, oh, more add-ons. I think it's just a one piece. A lot of yeah, people are doing that lately, and it is really cool that you can just get like the one additional piece. Um, you can get add-ons to basically all the books, Franz and Benevolence, or, uh, Acid Death Fantasy, Slow Slate of Plankton Downs, uh, Very Pretty Paleozoic Pals, Permian Nations, um, and then you can also get Metagorgos, which is the last project, and um, Academies of the Arcane, uh, which is uh, basically like Magic School. Uh, it's written by Brian Yaksha, who's another fantastic creator, so uh, definitely go check that out as well. Um, I think there was only one or two of these I didn't have, like uh, Slow Slate of Plankton Down, so I grabbed all the ones I didn't have because the completionist in me said, well, fuck, I need to have everything Truck has ever done. So uh, that's what's going on with that. Um, and uh, yeah, there is a complete breakdown of uh, all the chapter sections and everything that happens on it in here. The book itself looks looks, looks really, really beautiful. Um, it's got a breakdown of Troika. And then as far as the stretch goals go, uh, they're hitting pretty hard. Um, the It funded at 11,000. They're currently over 50,000 with 23 days to go, um, which means uh, as far as stretch goals, they have goals out to 60,000. But they've already got uh, Rival Investigator Mugshots, Big Squirm Bookmarks, Genuine Scarform Stickers. The GM screen has been upgraded to thick three-panel board. Uh, they've unlocked a ribbon bookmark, which you know we love a Gotta good love ribbon bookmark ribbons. here. Gotta love ribbons. 60K for two ribbons. Two ribbons is always better than oh, one. Oh, man, I have books with two ribbons. That's that's becoming yep. the standard out there, everybody. It really is. Death in Space is two ribbons, right? And actually, yep. the cult Bible version, You Got Me, has three ribbons. So oh. love a good ribbon. Um, so, yeah, so that's Big Squirm. Go check it out. It looks really fantastic. Um, I'm Like I said, I'm really excited for these, for a the, uh, couple of more recent Troika adventures that feel more like adventures than setting. And, and I, I really... Right. Uh, I really um, want to dig through this and, and play this and get a good intro to I, I, Troika. I think, yeah, I think one one reason why I like adventures that are pre-written for a, for a setting or a rule set or whatever is that I like to get a good sense of how the creators want to run the game, right? Like when I ran um, Welcome to the Ring, the Death in Space intro adventure, that really, I think, gave me a sense of how the creators of the game imagine it, right? And that's why I like them, not just because I'm lazy or don't have a lot of time but <laughs> no but uh, yeah I, I i completely agree with you the the having um an intro adventure or even like this morning uh during efcon i got to play in we deal and lead with colin lasore um and in both uh warden saga and if you have the we deal and lead um uh ashcan version right now one of the things that he does early on is literally say these are the kind of adventures you can run and gives you a list of like nine or ten like nice. You know, do a recon, do a this, do a that, and like at least one line on each one. So just like you said, it's a really good way to um, understand the intention yeah, of the system. Exactly. So it, it, yeah. it allows you to not bring baggage from a different rule set over and then sort of just you, you find yourself on this infinite cycle. Right. Whereas I think and you probably agree. One of the biggest things for me is kind of branching away from 5e is seeing so much more creative stuff happening out there. 
with game yeah. design, with adventure design, with with all kinds of with settings, with everything. And yeah. and so that's why I try to like sort of play it as purely as I can, at least the first time before I start tinkering with it personally. Yeah. Well, that's why something like this, I mean, 5e without tangenting too hard it's 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 a combat it's a it's Sorry, a combat right? system no it's a combat system designed to make you feel like a hero um oh. and but it's it's not it's not a narrative game it can be you can make it that way it's not designed to be that way though so for a game like this where it's like a detective story where it's mostly social interaction not really mm -hmm. the system for that but troika really can um uh, uh blossom in those kind of systems and those kind of settings and those kind of adventures so yeah. really, really excited to see how that goes. Glad this is the system that this kind of adventure is in um, and really excited to get more content from Loot Gearing, uh, which uh, which we'll get as soon as this uh, gets oh, through. Yeah. So 23 days, go back it. And the very last thing I want to talk about is on GameFound, um, which a lot more uh, creators are moving to and, and they have various things to say about it. Maybe we'll have people on at some point to talk about those things that they have to say about GameFound. But this is one of the projects that are on it. This is Into the Cess and Citadel from Wet Ink Games. Um, it's a system-neutral urban horror tabletop role-playing game about the sprawling city above and the sewers and streets below. The city eats people. Never forget that. Um, I think prior to the show we talked about, this kind of reminds us, maybe not in just the general kind of pitch that it just has was, was Tolas. Yeah, oh, yes, from yeah. Monty uh, Cook, which is just a giant sprawling city setting, and you can be above and below. Yeah. Um, but the art from Wedding is crazy. absolutely stunning. Um, awesome. There's a piece I'm sure is on here. I'll scroll down to it in a little bit. But reading about this a little bit more, roads beyond counting and buildings that block the very sun, a city that stretches without measure and whose secrets are without number, a sprawling metropolis built on the bones of cities long forgotten. It is every bit as colorful and chaotic as it is deadly and unforgiving. It is ruled from the glistening spires above. The nobles, demigods of flesh made gold, whose tyrannical whims ebb and flow like bloody tides across the city. Yet as tall as the city towers above, so too does it descend below, where dark and terrible things roil with hunger beneath the cobblestone streets. The city eats people. Never forget that. It sounds badass. Yeah, very excited for this. And it's like a tool set, right? To just create um, sort of a dungeon experience, but with a city. And I think that's one thing I, I like, anyways, because you know, inevitably, when you're when you're doing like urban urban adventures or something, there's there's kind of just a hand wavy aspect to it to a degree. At least when I've played it, it's it's not like yeah. you know a dungeon map, right? But I think adding all these mechanics to creating what might feel like a dungeon to a city is a really cool cool approach. Because it's system yeah. neutral, it looks like. Yeah, it's system neutral. So it says that it's a supplemental TTRPG book for those seeking to incorporate a strange, colorful, and terrifying city into their games. Um, it's a comprehensive guide to running adventures or campaigns within a fantastic city, along with an overhaul of the adventuring system uh, to better accommodate the unique challenges and benefits of the sprawling city. Um, and uh, it does say it's uh, it's a way to turn traditional city into an immersive dungeon-like adventure setting, exactly like you said. Um, the rules, uh, it does have rules to generate uh, an urban environment from a six-mile district down to a single building. So this looks really thorough. And again, damn, the art is so, so good. I follow them on um, Twitter, and they were dropping some of these pieces 
um, during this piece right here. Oh, man. I don't know why this kind of very long person. Like in, elongated neck. and yeah, yeah, and the arms and the shading arms. on it. I don't know why, yeah. but I was just like, damn, like, I love the composition. I just love the way it's done. I And, and the layout... Anyone that watches shows knows we like pink a little bit, and this book's got a whole <laughs> lot of pink in it. So we'll uh, we'll Bonus take that. But yeah, there, yeah, it is uh, it is uh, like a toolkit, like you said. So it looks really amazing um, and really dark uh, and really really cool. Um, rules for traveling, tools for generating urban environments, guides for running the urban environment, step by step guides for generating and running three unique city landscapes, hundreds of tools, hirelings, contraband, unique districts, dozens of tables, 50 plus monsters, magical artifacts, spells, diseases, and all system neutral. Um, it does come with a, a special edition hardcover. Looks really gorgeous. Uh, it is pink on the cover um, and it has this kind of like silver foiling on it. And it looks, there's no writing on the front cover, which is fantastic. This like quasi kind of like virgin cover um, on the front. Uh, it's the same design as the regular cover. Um, it's just not, the regular cover is not foiled uh, and has Into the Sess and Citadel written on the front. So I back that. There's not a whole lot of um, add-ons or, or tiers. You can pretty much get the special edition hardcover, the regular hardcover, the PDF or a retailer tier, and that's it. Um, and, uh, there was 25, um, special, special art, uh, edition, uh, early bird versions mm -hmm. with well, custom illustrations are, yeah. by Charles Ferguson. I, second, I got the email, I jumped over to this project to try to snag one and it was fucking gone. Wow. So people are definitely waiting for this cause the art is fantastic. Is he doing all um, of the art? Cause it looks, it looks kind of varied depending on what uh, looking at. I think that they're doing all the art and maybe the style is a little bit different, but I'm not okay. sure if I read anywhere that anyone else was doing any of it. Um, maybe there, maybe there's some other creators in it, or maybe he just has a pretty like, um, varied art style, yeah, varied but style. I think, I think I'm pretty positive. It's just, it's all of them. Um, the game, although is system intro was designed for D20 systems. Um, but obviously, I mean, anyone can, can switch it to anything else. Uh, so yeah, so this is into the Cessna Citadel. Um, it is funded. Uh, it is over twenty thousand, which was a funding goal, um, and it's at almost twenty one thousand right now. It just dropped. There still has twenty seven days left in it, but with stretch goals, where is that at? Um, at twenty five k, guess what they get? A ribbon. Oh, um, thirty yeah. right. k digital adventure. Thirty five UV spot coding. 40k another digital adventure 45 another digital adventure 50 a second ribbon bookmark um and then after that even more so let's get those two ribbon bookmarks go over to game found um uh, it, it is, a, is, a, is a nice it seems to be the primary like large crowdfunding um spot outside of kickstarter right now yeah. i know people itch fund yeah. into waltz of thorns and things like that but itch funding regardless just based on it's it's not people's knowledge of it and the way that it's formatted i don't think it's really designed to be like 50 60 100 200 yeah. projects it's more small funding um so game found seems to be the one that people are moving over to vast grim was on this right yep vast grim was, was cyber metal was yeah game found was vast grim i think yeah i know I, cyber metal was the dark from disaster tourism was a vast grim was um i think their next project uh from the creators of vast grim was too uh, the Crawling Dark, the the uh, Merkborg Adventure, and then this was as well. 
Um, so yeah, so go check it out. Let's make uh, GameFound um, another, uh, uh, we can rival Kickstarter a little bit. Um, and then maybe at the very least, it'll make Kickstarter rethink some of their uh, future business plans as far as the blockchain goes. <laughs> Dumbasses. Um, but that's it. That is the, uh, that is Kickstart the podcast. Nice. Good yeah. Um, that was. We, I know we started a little bit late and that ran a little bit long because uh, I'm chatty today. Um, but, I know, I can't get uh, a word in, but that's all right. Go, keep going. No, just, just, no cut me off. My ADHD is, is, <laughs> is going to be real bad. Just start talking and I'll stop. All right. We're going to switch to uh, Eyes Beyond the Torchlight by Scott Myers. So uh, like I said, what I want to talk about real quick is the box set. Um, I believe there are only 50 of these. Um, yeah, I got number 29 course um yeah uh <laughs> so go check those out um but i did want to just kind of go through it as we op open the book so we got some dice we got a pencil which says um workhorse rpg studio which is the uh studio that this is uh published under got a couple stickers workhorse um we got red dragon i honestly don't know what this is i'll have to ask scott um about that we got an eyes beyond the torchlight sticker we got an eyes beyond the torchlight um uh bookmark nice which is nice and then here's the meat this is the actual the actual stuff um first let's pull this out there's there's a little gm screen um it's oh, cardboard cool. it's thin but i really like the um i like this kind of like in the middle it's kind of neat um, and then on the back, uh, well, the so there's the, the art from the front. There's some cool art pieces on the sides here. Um, and then it's got rules laid out for you. And then the book, because today we're going over the player's guide, which is much shorter than the full core GM guide. But it is actually broken up into um, four zines inside here, four soft back zines. And what are they? So, you have the core so rules, you get, players. So there's swords, which is book one, which is characters, um, which is all the character creation stuff. You got sorceries, which is book two, which is the rules and treasures. You got serpents, book three, which is monsters. Um, and then you got soothsayer, book four, which is the setting. Um, oh, there is a setting. Okay, because that's there on is map a setting. at the end of the player oh. show, or the player. And game. then the, the in the setting guide right here, they do have a a, a nice, nice big map right in the middle, which is a really great place to play it. Um, I really like this. I mean, I love the hardcover book. I do have the first edition. Um, we're going to go over the second edition. Um, but I mean, as far as like at the table, like this is a lot easier for the table. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, is there an adventure? Um, I, I have to ask. Is there an adventure anywhere? I or no? Oh, you know, I honestly don't know. I, I've read okay. the, I've, I've read the entire core uh, at one point, but have much more. It's been a while, and I've been focusing on the player's handbook section. I Got don't it. think there was one. Um, I will say though, I do. Um, when you get this, you do get sent the PDFs. Um, but it's the two e PDFs. Um, it would be really nice to actually get these little ones in PDF as well, um, yep. just to have the PDF itself broken down into a little bit more biteable pieces too. 
Um, don't know if that would be a thing to actually get these instead of just the regular one. But if you do get the box set, you, these are still available from Scott. There's an adventure in the Soothsayer book, says Scott. So Scott Myers, the creator nice. of the game, is in our chat right now. So thank you so much for well, being here. Yeah. Thank you for including an adventure because we were just talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> How I love to have a, a creator's adventure in there just to get a sense of, you know, the tone. Specifically when there's a setting involved. Oh, here we go. Chapter two, The Lost Tomb. There you go. Very excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, looks really cool. I mean, all of this looks really cool. Super excited for this. As far as I know, like I said, there are still some of these available. And if you do get the, um, the box set, again, as far as I know, you also get the 2E PDF with it. So it's a great deal. Um, since the i think the hardback that's out now is the first edition and there is a second edition uh for the pdfs it's a great way to get the book awesome the box set itself is great it's it's uh it's not huge by any stretch the zines are relatively small but it's a great way to hold it and you know we love fucking boxes dude um, i i i from my second edition days man and then they like went away they all turned to books and then now they're finally bringing box sets back which yeah you know i mean it it, it allows it's like a board game it, you can keep all the stuff in it you can like, get the stuff in it. Yeah, like I, you, when I get like six zines for something, I want them yeah, to be in something. Exactly. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, you could also, you know, go talk to the eye wizard and snag some oh, boxes yeah. that way if exactly. you if you, you want. Can do that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get. Uh, I'm gonna have to get um, batch number three uh, at some point soon. Uh, as soon as I get all my stuff actually on a shelf. So that is the box set for the game that we're about to talk about right now. It's really beautiful. I love it a lot. I love like on the side that looks that's going to look fantastic on a um, bookshelf. Yep. And I know this is a really small feature, um, but if you look at the side, it's the same on both sides, but it's switched. Obviously, because what that's how it so reads. It, it's oh, like yeah, a flag. So read, see, it yeah. reads down one way and up this way. Speaking of that. You know what's weird on my knock? I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you look at the knock spine, let's see if I can get my camera to focus. It here. goes no. up, not down, right? Yeah, it's the other way. I'm like, what's up with yeah. that? It's so weird. I don't know. But I love that it's both ways because whichever way you want to put it, and again, it's the smallest little detail, but if I want it to read down instead of read up, yep. I can just flip it and it doesn't matter because it's a box. Um, <laughs> so. Let's actually get into the fucking game that Let's we're supposed to be it. talking about. Let's do it. Uh, all right. Kicking over to the game read-through window. Uh, here we go. Eyes Beyond the Torchlight. Uh, the Player's Guide. Again, there are... Um, this one is only about 92 pages. I think the core book is something like 200 because they put in a lot of this... Like, all the things that's in the box that, like the the setting the treasures like Got a lot it. of gm okay. guidance a lot of that stuff too um but this will just be like the core rules for for playing the game so that's what we'll go over because 200 is a bit a bit much when a lot of it's gm um guidance yeah. and with how much i'm fucking talking right now 200 pages would be here all fucking day um so written by scott myers layout by scott myers um most of the art done uh is modified from creative commons stock art and public domain photographs and illustrated by scott so um, I actually want to move this over and I wonder if it's going to affect it's not. Yes. 
So welcome to Eyes Beyond the Torchlight. This revision of the original brings some new content like expanded ancestries, updated stats, boosts and setbacks, optional rules and more. Um, and a new digest size format. Uh, and then Eyes Beyond the Torchlight, a classic fantasy adventure game in the style of the earliest editions of the world's oldest tabletop role-playing game. Although it mimics that style and it uses very modern mechanics to not only speed up play, but provide a cohesive system that allows both the GM and players to easily come up with solutions. Uh, it's highly compatible, et cetera, et cetera. There's a glossary of um, terms, which I think is cool. Uh, if you've mm -hmm. played a lot of role-playing games, um, most of these are pretty intuitive um, if you're not sure what they are, so we're not going to dig through those a bunch. Um, and then there's a section here, uh, which is cool. I'm actually going to flip my camera real quick. The what makes it different? That's my favorite section. Yeah. What makes um, this different? Uh, the dice mechanic, the player facing, uh, it's player facing in a simple, I'll just read through. The dice mechanic is, uh, it's a D20 plus stat to meet or beat a target of 12. Um, so Eyes Beyond the Torchlight is mostly a player-facing game system, meaning most roles are made by the players, leaving the GM free to facilitate gameplay. Um, it's simple modifiers. All roles are resolved with a simple dice pool of 1d20 plus stat, um, and possibly a boost of a 1d6 or a setback of a 1d6, um, either add or subtract that. And the only regular modifiers in the game are the threat number. Threat number subtracts from the roll, and if the total meets or beats 12, it is a success. And armor, which subtracts from damage on the character. Pretty clean, pretty straightforward. Yep. Um, and I think and then, I, I want to briefly say I wish all game books had this because whenever I pick up a new book, I'm like, why? What is? Why am I buying this? Like, why should I? Why should I buy this? And this right here tells you just a, a really quick glance at the rules and the approach of the game, so you know immediately, like, okay, am I going to hate this? Is this something I'm looking for? I wish more games had this, but that's. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> I really, I really wish games had this more than like, what is a tabletop role playing game? Yeah, yeah, it's like I think we know that. But I feel like there's a lot of games that are cutting that out now, less mainstreamy ones, because you know, by if you're if you're buying an indie RPG, you know what a role playing game is. So, but yeah, I, I love this aspect. I, like when I when I first opened this, cracked this open, I was like, oh shit, finally, like. Now I can just look at these two pages and know exactly how this game differs from other ones. You know, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, I really, I really enjoy this. Uh, they did a good job with that. Um, a standard target. Most actions that have a chance of failure require a roll. Uh, we talked about that with the target number. The target number is twelve. Uh, and most rolls that do not involve monsters, NPCs, or other obstacles like traps are rolled against a target number of twelve. Must meet or beat the target to succeed. For more on targets, see page 12. Merkborg basically kind of has Merkborg, that, Death like the DR12. Default 12, yeah. Which in Merkborg, yeah. though, it's a D20 system. Well, this is too, but I think it's more difficult, right? Because normally it's like a 10 is the average. Whereas the way the math works in this, I think, he says like it was like 60% of the time you'll succeed or something like that. I can't remember. I we'll have to look at it. I mean, what, yeah. I mean you know me, I, and we just talked about it, I think, just a second ago as yeah. far as a... Um, D20 system goes, uh, the, one of the reasons I prefer 2D6 systems is because the bell curve, I feel like if you're good at something, you should generally succeed and there might be a consequence to it. So if you're really good, you get it all the way. But the D20 system, it's a one in five chance every time. So it really comes down to your stat dice, but this does use stat dice, which gives yep. you a 
another role which gives you varying bell curves and i mean i would love to sit down and just look at the math of all the bell curves at some point and just see the different stat dice and and your chances of success with that and it's yeah. interesting about like using that on like if you have a 60 percent chance of success versus something else like again um this morning with like uh or we when i did primal quest yesterday um since it's a subtract lower from a higher um it's uh it makes the game a lot more difficult to succeed you're much less likely to succeed without good stats um so a game where you're more likely to succeed um it really kind of uh helps define the game a little bit like yep. are, is everything harder or is everything a little bit right. easier and like how right. does the how does that affect the gameplay which is really cool yeah which you know if you're dealing with prehistory things are probably harsher so it makes sense for the for the tone yeah uh, stat dice, uh, Ice Band the Torchlight uses four stats. Love a fucking four stat system. Yes, Give me more D24 I, yeah. stat systems. Yes, I, I love that. It's, kind of, it's very reminiscent of the OSR where you got like three stats a lot of the time. Not the six that we're normally used to with uh, standard stuff, but yeah, I was I was glad yeah. to see not a shitload of stats. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Ice Band the Torchlight, so yeah, Brawn agility intellect and presence i like the term broad i might steal it um <laughs> i think it really it says exactly what it is it's it's just it's your muscle it's your beefiness um each of these attributes is represented by a dice type from d4 up to a possible d12 the higher the dice type the better the character generally is obviously because again when you're rolling two 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 things your bell curve will be higher with higher number of dice yep and it's kind of cool because it's not the stat is not defined by a number like we're, or a modifier like we're normally used to. It's an actual die, which is cool. Yeah, it's really um, it's neat. I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about this. There, there, there. We'll talk about it as we go through. That there are kind of like in a uh, almost reminiscent of Flayo a little bit, where it's just like, huh, I like that. And that's an interesting yep. way to do something that people have done like mm -hmm. before. And here's a different way that makes sense. I like it. And that, that pops up in the game a bunch. Um, they use a we use a single dice roll to calculate both failure or success and damage. Love that. I know you're a big dice roller. I like I, I like rolling as few dice well, as possible. I I love that. It, well, first of all, I love this game because it's player facing. You know how much I love player facing. So right love there, yep. awesome. I think this is cool too, though, that it's you're not rolling a separate die. But I mean, you are rolling a separate die, but you're not. You know what I mean? Like, because you have yeah. the. Anyway, we'll get into it when we talk about the. the well, this part. this whole concept of rolling it kind of, but like I think we talked about this before. Like when I was really pushing away from Five E, one yeah. of the early games that I read was Maze Rats. Yep. And however small it is in my mind at the time, when you've done a lot of Five E roll 2d6 and however many are over the targets you know armor or number that's how much damage you do and that's it blew my mind on the simplicity <laughs> and yeah. i was just like that that was one of the things where i was like fuck i need to read more like this um yeah. so doing something like this in a d20 system uh is is a cool way to do it so a uh, cool example to play here with this so um when making an offense roll such as melee range attack the stat dice of the roll is the damage done on a success so, an example, a character attempts to shoot an opponent with a target number of 1, rolling a d20 and their agility stat dice of d6. So, they roll an 11 and a 2, because you roll both and add them together. That gives you a 13. You subtract the target number of 1, which gives you a total of 12. And as we said before, 12 is a baseline for success. 
you succeed. The damage done to the opponent is two hit points, which is the two you rolled on the agility stat dice. Yeah. Clean. I like it. Um, like I said, I'd love to sit down and really look at the numbers sometime. For more in combat, there's other thoughts. And then threats. All monsters and NPCs have a threat number. Uh, that is how difficult any task is to perform against the opponent. Um, and uh, defending... The only uh, thing, honestly, that threw me off here is because when I see threat number, uh -huh. TN, I also think of target number, right? So he, he specifies target number here. He never says it as an you know, abbreviation. and the, But just in my head, because of probably Merkborg and other things where it's called like your defense rating, which is also a DR, it kind of took me a second to process that you know a target number is not a threat number even though they could conceivably be the same acronym that was the only thing that's that very true yeah well yeah and i mean i think we've talked about um that before too where the the verbiage and the wording you use in your yeah. games there is kind of like a um a standard to a point and you can deviate to a point before Yep. Um, it, it becomes fatally, and I'm not saying that this is, but that is, um, uh, that would be a kind of a concern depending on how you uh, want to abbreviate. If you can never abbreviate target number, which generally right. is always a 12 exactly. because threat number is also a TN, then, you know, that's something to think about, um, yeah. uh, as far as that. But, uh, whether it's making melee range attacks, defending against their attacks, um, which uses dodge or casting or a little more. Threat number of an opponent is subtracted from the player's role. That's basically what we talked about already. The, t the total of the role must be 12 or higher, and that's it. So basically, everything has the threat number, um, and every time you roll something, since it's all player-facing for you, if it's against an opponent, you always subtract the threat number from your role, period. Um, and basically, that threat number... It's I mean, that's 12, really intuitive yeah. in that the more threatening something is, obviously the number is going to be higher... Um, and that's always going to subtract more from your roll. So a rat might be a 1, and a dragon might be a 10. And with the numbers that you roll, especially since you're rolling two dice, mm -hmm. and you're probably, that's going to make you higher. It's 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 clever, yeah. it's intuitive, but I think what you and said it, is true. Like with two TNs, yeah, it, just, it can be I just, a little... I just screwed it up right now, in fact, when I said threat number, target number. But also, uh, those represent hit points of creatures, which we'll get into a little bit later. So that 1 and that 2 translates to yet another number, which would be the hit points, so... Um, a couple of other things. I mean, there is a lot of right at the beginning, a lot of definitions, like a lot yep. of explaining before we get into it. I think it's good. And it also, there's also a lot. This is not a rules light game and that's no. not bad by any stretch. We talked about the same thing with Flayo, it, it, but it never claims to be. So that's fine. Right. Um, but a lot of, of heavy reading right here in the beginning before we got, started getting into the basic rules, just so there's understanding as we continue through. Um, boosts and setbacks, you can roll. Uh, some rolls are easier, which are boosts, and some rolls are harder, which are setbacks. When a roll has a boost, yep, you add a d6. Um, when it has a setback, you subtract a d6. Uh, I, it's the same kind of mechanic that um, uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord has. Yep. You know, same kind it's of thing kind of where you... Advantage, disadvantage, you know, that's essentially what it yeah. is, but like with a different mechanic. Yeah, well, and then, so basically, I mean, if you take averages of it, basically a boost gives you a plus three, and a, and, yeah. a, and a setback gives you a minus three on, on average, roughly, um, which which I really like. Um, yep. I like it because know, it, uh, it helps you granularly add interest to things. You can quickly say, oh, yeah, that's a setback, or that's a, or that's a boost, right? Rather yep. than, you know, it's more interesting than just rolling another d20. 
and seeing if it if it beat out the other one or didn't you know now i don't remember i don't know why i'm blanking on it can you is there a point where you can have multiple boosts and multiple setbacks i'm sure in the basic rules we'll touch on that but i don't know why i'm blanking I can't on remember it. if there's like double i don't think so i think you might be yeah. thinking of the edge the edges and the um, maybe maybe hindrances and hindrances because if there was a way to do boosts and setbacks where you can stack you're almost creating like a d6 dice pool yep so which is which is neat <laughs> I, I i think in this system I'd, I'd much prefer either you have a boost or a setback you know what i mean yeah. and like you just get the d6 because i think the math like you could have as many d6s as you want and just take the highest but I think that puts a fiddliness that's unnecessary in here. Basically, you have a boost or a setback. And if you have yep. a setback and for some reason you get a boost, you just get nothing. Like That's just cleaner, I think, for this kind of D20 system. So it seems like that's what it is, though. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm going to read the next paragraph and it'll probably answer my question. But oftentimes a character, <laughs> uh, a character's edge gives a boost to certain roles and some monsters have various abilities that give them setback. These are the two most common uses for both. Um, and we'll read more on page 13. Yeah. Here in Villain Points um, are a pool of meta currency players can spend to affect the game. Each character starts every game session with a set of around five hero points, which can be played at any time. And villain points are possessed by the main villains. The GM can spend them to complicate the players' lives a bit. And we'll get to that again in the future. Um, edges and hindrances. Edges are useful traits that characters possess. Um, this could be anything from the ability to fight in the dark to accelerating an archery and hindrances or traits that determine um, that are detrimental to a character. Um, most characters begin with one or two ancestry edges and one or two archetype edges, depending on what they choose. We'll talk about that a little bit more. I I still feel I'm, like the humans got the short end of the stick. I was reading them, you know, like yeah. you know the halflings and all these different these are archetypes or these races or uh, they have like pretty cool shit and then you look at the human and it's like yeah oh you you know some people that will show up in four days to help you fight or something yeah yeah i mean you know and this is one where i'm like i could take or leave this kind of thing i wouldn't yeah. mind um i kind of uh I, I lean away from using anything tied to race or ancestry or anything like that giving like stat advantages and things like that yeah. i think whether whether there's an any any intent or in, behind it i think especially in just where we are right now it um it opens up conversations that i find unnecessary in tabletop role-playing games to to have at the table um not unnecessary that's probably a, a bad way to wear that i don't like stats associated to race because i'd like people to be able to be free to do kind of anything they want and not yeah. try to metagame into the race yeah. they feel is better like why not um, let the abilities and the class and whatever it is dictate those things you're, you're training rather than sort of just what you're born with right 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 um that's that's a that's a much better way to say it than i think what i just said um <laughs> It's just, you know, uh, and I, I mean, 5e does it and, um, you know, it's I just, common. yeah, I mean, it's fine. It exists. It's in the game. It's in the game of world. Yeah. Um, Remember the but old I days think, when a race was a class. Right? A race is a class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, there's no problem with it. I would probably shy away from using a mechanic like this specifically in the future. Um, uh, but, you know, it is what it is and it works um simplified spell casting uh they use a simple system for powers whether they're spells psionics or superpowers um there are a limited number of magical powers also called spells and casting these require casting rolls um and we'll get into that later um and then it talks about the simplified stats so 
cruise through basic definitions in the beginning. I do really love that reference in the beginning. It seems like a, a really quick rules yep. reference right off the top. Um, it, I mean, that could be in read, the beginning. That could be in the two, back. Yeah, you could. But the thing is, the way I look at it, though, is like you could read these three pages and sort of get a gist for if you, you know, if you're like an RPG veteran or if you played a few games anyway, you'll immediately know, like, am I going to dig this or not? True. Very, very so, true. And reading those pages, I dig this. Yep, exactly. So um, chapter two, the basic rules. Um, we still keep going into more um, like definitions. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're going to keep going. Do you want to take over this section and start digging through some of these? Yeah, sure. So it's kind of it's like like Ryan said, we're starting to get a little bit repetitive here. I think this is like getting in more to the meat of the rule set here, but we have the basic, the basic dice mechanic where it's the D20 plus your stat die, possibly a plus or minus D6 if there's a boost or a setback to meet a threat number or a threat or target number, TN. See, that's interesting there how it's it's used as an acronym, um, but then sort of separated in the parentheses. Um, but that's the gist of that. The target um, is always 12. Uh, I believe, right? I don't think it fluctuates because I don't think it ever fluctuates. Modifiers. I think, and maybe it was a little bit different in 2E, and I don't know why it's popping in my head before, but I feel like in 1E there was like um like more of a name to that kind of system for it. Um Yeah. Where they kind of emphasize like the target 12 was was more like not, not just here's mechanically like, here's a name for this and this is kind of the core of the whole system and maybe, maybe i'm just making that up and pulling pulling that out of my yeah. ass but i, I do um, like the idea and this kind of threw me off in death in space too is that there's sort of a set target value we're, we're very familiar yeah. with other games like you high you raise or lower it depending on how difficult you think the task is where is it's always 12 here it's modified yeah. by another number yeah. but then moving on we got checks defenses and offenses so these are indicative of like the player rolling or the player facing where uh you know you're gonna write you're gonna roll a defense check you're not going to the d the dm or the gm is not going to roll to attack you you're going to roll to defend which i love because i feel like the more times you're engaging a player to do something active like roll a die it's it's gonna everyone's gonna have more fun and then it alleviates all of the stress off the off the gm too they can manage the story and, and and encounters and so on okay so this last part, when to roll and when not to roll, I absolutely love this because a lot of people forget this stuff. And I know a lot of people make this as a, as a house rule where, for example, um, there's no, uh, there is often no need to roll for certain task players want to accomplish, right? If you're a rogue, you can climb a tower if there are footholds. You do not need to make that roll where someone else would have to because that, again, is not their profession. So this is a really great way to separate these classes and everything um rather than saying hey i need a roll i need a roll i need a roll it's like no you're a thief you can scale that wall no you're a, a, a war what does it say right here what's the next one uh you are uh no reason for a tracker to roll to track a large beast through a muddy field they're a tracker why would they be rolling for this it just kind of interrupts Literally the game what they with do. more yeah exactly yeah. it's what they do and so i i just made note of that because i, I really appreciated that and that to me harkens back to Rulings, not rules, even though this isn't technically a rules light game. This just shows you like, don't think you always have to roll for everything, right? Like if I'm going to search the drawer in this desk here, why am I rolling? I'm literally searching. I'm very, I'm, I'm very specific to what I'm doing. And so I think, but this even extends beyond that to uh, help, help give, you know, 
more relevance to the reason why you chose to be a rogue, right? I do really like um, a, couple, a couple of things I do enjoy about this period. Um, well, I, I, I feel like a lot of the, the core mechanic, if I if, if the first that game that jumped in my head when I started reading a little bit was Shadows of the Demon Lord, um, yeah. which is like a D20. There's a flat target number. There's D6 boosts. There's, there's D6 setbacks and stuff like that. But it's a great game. So that's not a bad um, uh, association. Um, but I think we talked about this a couple of times now. This feels like um, a... How do I describe this? Like, so OSR, however you want to describe it, how I've kind of started to do it is more like OSR is the retro clones and maybe these NSRs yeah. people are talking about are the newer ones where there's rulings right. over rules and different mechanics and stuff like that. So this is not a retro clone. Um, it's not. Um, so I feel like it's got, but it's got those kind of like modern versions, the old school version of ruling over rules and this kind of like modern OSR mindset on this rule set as well and i really appreciate because i know a lot of the the osr NSR games i've been reading lately a lot of them aren't d20 um and there are these different strange you know not strange but different mechanics i really like all of the osr kind of that aspect of it the rulings over rules and um all of the like the simplification this like don't roll don't whatever that's the thing about this rule set that really stuck out to me a bunch was this feels kind of like a dragon game um, but a dragon game that I would prefer to play because of the intent to a lot of the rule set and stuff like that, which I feel like is meant to be cleaner, easier, um, right. and, and a little bit smoother. Yeah. So moving on, we have the consequences of failure. This is pretty straightforward. This is essentially what happens if you fail a roll. But there's some cool nuance here where you see in the second paragraph, it says, in some instances, a failure may not be predetermined, such as Failing a tracking check that stalls the game because tracking the creature leads to the next adventure location. In these cases, the GM may need to allow a failure to be a success, but maybe a success with a cost. So this kind of reminds me a lot of the Powered by the Apocalypse, where there's sort of a, you fail or, you you know, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a this, but this happens, right? So I think this is a good way of looking at it when you're trying to not stall the game. So if a character, like I said, you, you lose the track of a, of a creature, um, oh, the game ends. We're done. What do we do now? Right. This this allows sort of a method to continue that that uh, track, but there's there's a cost to it. Um, and then uh, finally, uh, using powers. So these are you know the spells essentially. Powers in the eyes of eyes beyond the torchlight game are often also called spells. These powers require a casting roll. Thank you. Right. <laughs> so a lot of games just spells just work, and it's like it's always bothered me because you're you're digging into this like you know. Uh, just this dark knowledge, right? That could destroy you even, right? You're tapping into this, some, some kind of power. And so just like an attack roll, they require a, a, a check here for a casting roll. Um, and there's a great um, example of play here because the result, just like an attack roll, can affect what the, the effect of the spell is. So we have Casey wants his mage character, Stanislaus, to cast Sleep against an orc at the end of the corridor. Sleep requires a casting roll versus the opponent's threat number. The orc's uh, threat number is a one, and the mage and uh, mages use intellect for their spellcasting stat, so um, which is a d8 for him. He rolls a d20 and a d8, adding them together. Um, it's 13, 10 on the d20, and adding three because of the d8. Then you subtract the tn of one for the orc. The total of the roll is 12 to success. But here's the cool part: the the orc. Uh, where was I? The orc falls asleep for a number of rounds equal to the stat die. 
So that is the result you get similar to the damage if you're attacking with a sword or something. So I like that aspect how there's different different degrees of effectiveness, efficacy of a spell, right? Depending on what you roll. Yeah. So that's kind of a cool cool thing there. Yeah. I it's 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 cl it's clever. I really enjoy yeah. it. It's yeah, it's that. it's it's a really I think the core system with the this the the stat dice um I know we've like, I've said this over and over. I don't like D20s because there's it's 5% <laughs> chance curve. who gives a shit. Yeah. I don't like that there's not a curve. You know what I mean? It's yeah. flat 5% for every number. Throwing the stat dice in not only gives you a curve, which means you're more likely to succeed if you're good at something, um, which you should. That's literally how the fucking world works. Um, yep. But then that stat, stat dice being able to be, like you just said here, like the number of rounds of something to sleep, the number of damage you do, all of that kind of stuff. Yep. It's it's clean. How many things like you it, summon? It really there's, is. There's, yeah, when yeah. we get into the spells, or if we're, you know, I, we're probably going to briefly go over them, but you'll see that in effect with all of the spells that are designed and it, it makes it kind of i don't know it's cool because it's 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 another it's you're, you're you're throwing more of that randomness into there and it's it's cool depending on how a spell yeah. might be affected so i feel like i see the word clever a lot and one of those times <laughs> i i think another word. word that i know but an, another word i want to use sometimes is elegant like this feels elegant, yeah, elegant like it yeah. feels like it's it's a lot of i feel like there's a lot and just the two dice give yep. you all of it yeah and that's all I think you need once to do you, i think once you wrap your head so when i first read this it felt like a little bit a lot of math to do mm -hmm. just to calculate something but i think once you understand that it's it's sort of like you're rolling the damage together in a way but it's also contributing to the check and you start to understand about the um the threat number and everything you're like okay i see how this is pretty clean but again it's it's a little bit of a departure from what we're used to and so you just kind of got to take a minute and wrap your head around it. And I'm sure once it's at the table and you're playing through it, there's a great actual play at the very end of the book that demonstrates that. So, um, yeah, I dig it. It's good. I'm, I'm it's, I, I want to play this game. Like that's <laughs> like one of the, one of the things I can say the most, and this is one that I I've talked about for a lot. This has been, um, at the top of our list of, of games we want to do for a while. And especially after Flayo, this kind of gives me similar vibes to, to Flayo. I was like, fuck, like we're, as soon as we're doing, we're doing, um flayo we're all gonna we're also gonna do eyes beyond the torchlight so um really excited for for that we're doing this and um i will be playing this at some point i don't know when but it'll, it'll be on our stream which is <laughs> so cool. many games man so many games to play hey uh so um uh scott actually just said eyes beyond the torchlight was heavily influenced by the first thing he says the shadow of the demon lord which is exactly there what he said yeah. um early versions of dragon games savage worlds black hacks index card rpg and a good chunk of barbarians of lemuria um, which is the best 2D6 game ever. I've never read Barbarians of Lemuria, so I'll read that. But yeah, I mean, you can tell. And again, those aren't bad games to be influenced by. Uh, I think no, it, no, no. this is one of those things that really takes like the best parts of, of, of things and puts them together in a really clean way. So again, okay. really excited for um, to, to run this at some point. But you could definitely see the the Shadows of the Demon Lord kind of overtones in some of the core mechanics, but, but it's good, so um all right so stats we talked about the four stats brawn agility intellect and presence you know tabletop role-playing games you know what yep, all of those are these, these. Yeah. yeah um there are derived stats so armor is based on the armor character wears armor subtracts from incoming damage so it's damage soak for armor hit yep. points is based on a character's brawn maximum brawn stat dice 
So a D8 brawn is an 8 hit points to a character creation. Again, the stat dice give you other stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your highest brawn is, that the max of that dice is your HP. Yep. Um, initiative is an intellect roll, which I like. I like that it's not necessarily a... Um, like a dexterity uh, 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 or something? Like a dex or a brawn. It's not a physical yeah. roll. It's a mental roll. I, I, I do really like that switch. A uh, move is based on a character's ancestry. There are moves in this, which, you know... Um, it's and then distances, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the distance. So run is a move plus a character's agility dice. So we'll see yep. movement. Um, so And this gives a nice table of uh the things that the stats can be used for checks offenses and defenses so just to pick one um let's talk about brawn uh it's used for death checks force hit points to lift things to open uh recovery action smash stamina um it's used for melee attacks and on defense for constriction disease drain paralysis petrified poison um and there's a cool breakdown table here of all the different ways that it can be used for checks for offense and for defense. Um, so it's a cool, uh, I, I like this layout for this setup with the four stats. Uh, talking about stat die, uh, your stats represented by a single dice. We talked about this D4 to D12. Um, the only, the, I would say the only, I don't want to say knock at all, like just something to point out a little bit when you read all those definitions right at the very beginning, it's great that they're there as a reference, but the first time you're reading it, is it when you start reading the uh, rules again, it feels a little re- redundant. Yeah, a, re- a little redundant, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, like you said, maybe that's at the back, but also there's the pro of you being able to skim it quickly and understanding, like, yeah. is this the kind of game I'm going to play? So maybe moving this after character creation? I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think it's good where it's at because you're only going to do it once. Like the first yeah. time you read the book, you're going to read it from beginning That's to true. end. And then after yeah. that, you're just going to jump to chapter two for the basic rules or whatever. Yeah. Um, but as we're reading it, we are going to repeat ourselves a little bit. And that is because there is basically the, the glossary in the beginning and a definition of a lot of the stuff that you also get again in the basic rule. So if you hear some redundancy, um, if we've already talked about it, we'll probably just jump over that. And that's what stat dice is. We've already talked about stat dice. It's it's the it's a D4 to D12 that you add on to your rules, and, and we've went in-depth already about what you derive from that. Um, but raising stats, you can gain advancement points that you can spend to raise your stats or gain a new edge. A character stats cannot be higher than a D10, or lower than a zero unless they have an edge that allows them to raise a stat to a d12 some powerful magic items can even raise a stat to a d12 so yep. generally without some bonus stuff you're going to be between a d2 and a d uh a d10 dice and there's order also a d0 just to, just to make sure people hear that too so there's a oh yeah the stat could be stat, reduced so... to nothing yeah it's yeah. basically a d4 and then so it's zero d4 d6 d8 d10 d12 so yeah you could have a zero which would just mean you don't get to roll a modifier. So yeah. Uh, so then you just go right back to your D twenty five percent chance. Um, yep. <laughs> some powers, magic items, potions, and others may increase your dice type. We've talked about this. If something raises your dice type beyond D twelve, it starts with a D twelve plus one, then plus two, etc. So your dice never goes up, but if you somehow go beyond based on magic and edges and all sorts of stuff, you just start to add a flat modifier roll which I really like. I think that's, again, a smart way to do it. And yep. you start to get a consistent guaranteed number, which I enjoy to some of your stats. Um, yep. 
Likewise, it can be decreased. If a stat goes below zero, a character is most often dead. Which is cool, uh, right? Because you think of like, oh, if I had zero hit points, I'm dead. Or is this I mean, be yeah. any, any stat you're dead at zero? Or well, be, considering or that your brawn is derived, or your HP is derived from your brawn, if your brawn is zero. Yep. But according to this, it feels like if your intellect is, if your presence is, right? Because it just says a stat. Yeah. So. Um, but it says a character is most often dead. So I wonder if it's more just like, if yeah. you ever hit zero on something, you're probably not walking away like from could, it. Not necessarily like, that you just die. Yeah. If you Well, if you go like negative um, intellect or presence or something like that, maybe you're just, you're insane at that point. You know, yeah. you're not yeah. dead, yeah, but yeah. your brain is fried. Uh, you want to hit target 12? Sure, let's do it. So target is 12, like we've talked about. There's always a standard target that you're trying to roll against, which is um, that number, which is great, because a lot of times we're used to fluctuating difficulties. Um, so the way they mitigate that is that there might also be a, um, a threat number, right? So for example, uh, for some tasks, a threat number will also be listed, such as a good lock on a treasure chest having a threat number of two or lifting a very heavy portcullis having a threat number of four. But other tasks are vague. For vague tasks, a 12 is always used. So again, if something isn't immediately apparent as how difficult something should be, it's a 12. Easy as that. Um, and oh, right here it says a target uh, of 12 gives most characters a slightly better than 50% chance of success based on average dice roll. So there's I the math love right there. This I love this. Right see, there. That is. was interesting to me. For me, like it, it threw me. I can see that being great for a GM. Uh, but also just to kind of understand the, the reasoning behind it. But also we're so used to seeing that chart of 10 is easy, 12 is harder, moderate, and so on. And so you have to kind of like think a little bit differently because again, everybody's stat is going to be different, right? You don't well, have... And then you also have to break your brain a little bit and go, yeah, but that's like the D20 plus D12 feels like a lot. Because if you're used to yeah. a, a, a DC 15, 5E average standard, right? You're like, well, then fuck it. The, the average is you succeed, right? Threat numbers, people. Threat numbers. Yep. If you are, if you're up to a D12, the things you're fighting probably have that number, threat numbers like five, six, seven. You know what I mean? And if something has a threat number of a five and your average of 15, well, let's say a six, you fail. Like if you get a 17 and someone's got this threat number of six, that's an 11. You lose. Like, you know, so it's, it's, I like it, but like yep. you just said, your brain <laughs> has to wrap yeah. differently, yep. you know, cause with 2d6, you automatically go, okay, this is different. Right. But since you're right. still rolling to d20, rolling d20, if this is your first yeah. game away from 5e, people are going to need to be reminded a little bit yeah. that, you know, it's, yeah. it's, there's more, there's more to it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I guess if you, example, if you know the Warriors uh, bronze stat, you can understand quickly by liking this chart, what's going to be, what's going to be difficult for them, you know? So um, that gives you a good idea. Uh, so moving on, threat numbers, monsters and NPCs and eyes beyond the torchlight all have a listed threat number, as do some traps and other difficult tasks. The threat number TN uh, in parentheses represents how difficult it is to accomplish any check or defense uh, or offense or defense against them. So if a task requires some offense, the TN also determines the hit points. This is what I was talking about earlier, where every point of TN is five hit points. So, you know, when you're fighting a monster that has a TN of one, you know they have five hit points. 
TN of two is 10 hit points and so on and so forth. So that is a way to convert it. And that's another thing that kind of threw me off and you got to kind of break your brain a little bit because you're using this number to determine success, but it's also uh, kind of like a container for another value, which is hit points. So it's cool in an elegant way, but it's also like, again, you just have to think about things a little bit differently than you're accustomed yeah. to in a D20 system. The stat dice does a lot of heavy lifting, a yeah. lot of heavy lifting yep. in this system, considering yep. it's, 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 it could be your HP. It can be um, how much damage you do. It's your addition to your role to give you a better role. Um, and then um, with the target number, considering your stat dice is a number of the amount of damage you do, like the target number feels kind of linked to it in that way, since right. that's how like how you even do damage against the target number to right. begin with. So, right. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting concept for sure. Just you got to kind of pause, you know, if you're accustomed to pretty much every other D20 system out there just to kind of, you know, <laughs> rejigger your brain a little bit. But we're going to talk more about threat numbers and, uh, and combat coming up in Chapter 6. So next is uh, boosts and setbacks. I really like these. So this is, um, do you want to take it? Uh, keep going, go for it. Okay. So a boost is when a GM determines a role is easier some other circumstance, such as an edge, makes a role easier, which edges are something uh, that are linked to your um, your ancestry, which we'll talk about later, oh, and also your, um, your archetype. They receive a boost dice. A boost die adds 1d6 to your basic die roll and adds, a total, adds to the total roll. So this is a lot like what we do on stream with Blesses and Banes. Yep. You know, it's kind of like it's a it's a numerical value. It's not re-rolling a die. It's adding another uh, value to your your total roll. So a bunch of examples are here. Um, and again, these are these are all up to the GM. But there's just some things to kind of get you going. Uh, when a player makes a brawn check uh, to force open a locked door while using a crowbar, so an assisting item. And when a player has attempted and failed a task once, and the second attempt, I like that, right? Because I feel like in in D and D or Five E anyway you always kind of run up against the problem of, I didn't break the door down. Okay, I try again. Oh, I didn't do it again. Okay, I try again. And it kind of gets ridiculous at that point. Yep. And so I think you're given a bonus here. Uh, and I believe this is reminiscent of ICRPG. I think he has a mechanic that's very similar in that, um, where it brings the target number down if you've already attempted it. But anyway, that's the gist of that. Um, it's just kind of like, circumstances that make a task more uh you know uh fortuitous for a character for instance or if they have a, a, a boost for an edge let's say so setback is the opposite of that um if it's something more difficult um such as a hindrance makes the roll hard they have a setback dice a setback subtracts 1d6 from your basic die roll and it is subtracted from the total rolled on the d20 and stat die so again same thing uh, you're trying to force open an ironbound and stuck door while the floor is covered in slippery moss. Um, you're making offenses against a creature that is in flight. So just difficult tasks where, uh, and that's the easy way to mitigate it instead of actually upping the uh, the difficulty rating, right? So yeah. or yeah, yeah. this, it's the target number. So yeah, yeah that's, I, that's I, the I mean, boosts and setbacks. Yeah, and I love this. Obviously, I mean, I the 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 game I have that will probably never see the light of day has uh, banes and booms, <laughs> oh, I don't say that. and it's it's literally the exact same thing. Like you, um, when you have like uh, some type of of you know advantage to the situation, you can add a boon. If you have some type of disadvantage situation, you can add a bane. 
and you just it's a dice above or a dice below and then and then exactly. you go from there i it's so i like this a lot better than like advantage, advantage inspiration yeah, like all that kind of stuff yeah because you roll another you're rolling another die and i don't know i think like if when people drop a bag of dice not that you need to drop a bag of dice for this game it's just cool right you're like oh hey roll me another die and there's just something like that just get your dopamine going right when you know you yeah. have a chance to there's that random element and so that's what this does versus like okay i'm gonna roll two die dice and then pick the better or the worse yeah. it's, well it's not only that but i just however small it is in the fucking microsecond it takes to do it i would yeah. always rather roll a second dice or a second die than to roll one die twice oh yeah like i get sure. you know what i mean i mean and you can roll two dice for advantage at the same time whatever but i always roll one and then the other but like yeah. this and said like if you have two you get to roll a third dice you don't have to roll your two then pick up a d20 and roll again and just exactly. feels nicer it feels like you just said fireball yeah, you're, you're like you know? you know you're not you're not pausing you're like oh i get to roll a new dice and then add it to this number so there's just yep. it, you know when you're doing a d20 it's like one's going to be higher one's going to be lower that's it right this is like a, a, a range of success you might be like man i just need three on this 1d6 or i just need two to succeed kind of thing so it's it, it adds just that. give me just give me the three <laughs> yeah yeah just, just give me yeah. the <laughs> gives, yeah. it gives that the anticipation i think the tension which is, is super important in role-playing games oh yeah oh yeah uh, next we got damage. So hit points. We talked about this a little bit. Um, uh, NPCs, monsters, items, and even some tasks have hit points. And that amount of hit points is the amount of damage they can take before either dying or otherwise being destroyed. Um, in the case of characters, monsters, NPCs, and whatnot, be um, they become inoperable in the case of traps or finished or complete in the case of tasks. Um, for tasks, traps, and items, the amount of HP they have is based on their threat number. Like Jason talked about earlier, for every point of uh, TN they have, they have five hit points. One is five, two is ten, etc., etc. Um, monsters and NPC hit points are based on their target number and size. We'll see that on page 97. Yeah. Characters begin the game with a max um, amount of HP based on their brawn and can increase their hit points by either raising their brawn stat or buying an edge. Um, in no case can a character have more hit points than two times their maximum brawn. Easy peasy. Yep. You know? Um, and then we're hitting damage and offense again, which is uh, something we already talked about. Um, offense rolls, such as melee and ranged, uh, do damage on a success. Um, other offense rolls can include powers, uh, such as intellect or presence. Um, offenses and also brawn offenses, such as ramming your shoulder into a stuck door to break it. In all of the above cases, damage is calculated the same way. D20, applicable stat, and if it's a success, the damage done is a stat roll. The core mechanic of the entire game. Yep. There is um, a uh, uh, an example of play here again, which there's never too many examples of play, I don't think. I agree. Um, Every time there's a new concept, you see that, and I think that's great. Yeah, it's really well done and well written. It makes it a lot easier to understand um, I would say that across a lot of games, they could use more of these. Um, Into the Odd does a great job of having huge, long examples of play in it, and it, it's so helpful in, in a system that's so different yeah, than that. A lot of the Free League does stuff does too. Yeah. It's great. Should it be a check or an offense? Offense, however you want to say it. In combat or other time-sensitive situations, breaking down a door, picking a lock, deciphering a scroll, should be an offense roll. Um, if it's 
offense roll. Um, if it's an out of combat, um, a check is enough to suffice for any kind of uh, roll where a pass fail is often enough to not slow the game down. The GM may allow additional checks on a fail if the character may have learned something the first time. See boost, which we discussed already. Um, I like that. And not only do I like this, I like that this is a question and an answer. And I think this is like the second or third time this has already been done in the book already, where it's like, this might be something that you're thinking. Yeah, I kind of was. So here's the answer for it already. <laughs> I feel like they really yeah. answer the edge case as well yeah. um, in this system. So it's yep. it's cool. Um, I know you liked Hero Villain Point. You want to take those? Yeah, let's talk about it. So these reminded me a lot of not to call another game, but I, I, I it helps me to to internalize this stuff. But this is uh, reminds me a lot of uh, Omens and Merkboard, where you have kind of these. This, this collection of points, depending on, I think it's static here. So basically at the beginning of every session, players begin with five hero points. That's right. Unless they have an edge or a hindrance, which we'll talk about when we get to the character aspect of it. Um, they are only, these are the only points they have for the session. So this is only a per session thing. They, there's no way for them to, uh, you know, refresh this pool of hero points. And there's also, um, actually, let me talk about the hero points before I get to the villain points, but what they do is they allow you to do a uh, certain thing. So you can spend a, a hero point to do any one of the following. Uh, you can add a D8 to any roll. This can be done after initial roll. This is the most common use for hero points. Extra action, take an extra action at any time in any round. Retreat, flee a combat without triggering any attacks against you, which we'll talk about that when we get to the move section. Increasing power, some powers can be empowered. And that's on, um, on page 88, which we'll talk about. Um, so that's why I said they're like omens they are like this cool little toolbox of things that, um, you have to, you know, augment the gameplay, right. And it's only per session. So it's not like you take a long rest and you got to roll a die and you get more. Um, it's just per session, which I wonder the, the thing that really stood out to me in this one is like, is this too powerful? Like, could this be too powerful depending on the length of the game session? If everybody has five hero points, I'm not sure. Um, but that got me thinking about that. And there's some other aspects in the game too, specifically around resting that kind of made me well, wonder about that. I mean, it also depends on what kind of game you're trying to run. Like, is this, I mean, realistically, this does feel like a little bit more heroic of a game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I, it could be, it could be because I, yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough to know. Um, yeah. cause it never really states that it never says like, this is a, you know, uh, like, like Merkborg, it's like a, it's a grim game where success is you know hope there's no hope and it's it's a it's a brutal world so um I'm i think sure just mechanically you. though when you see this i mean you know 5e doesn't say this is a hero game designed to make you feel amazing yeah, all the time but and the not art lose. speaks that way to me anyway but I think, I think the setting definitely feels grim but i think with if you it's they're literally called hero point I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> like they're literally point, called good hero point, points. Good point. So the game does feel like uh like the setting is is kind of like grimmer, but the, the mechanics are yeah. um a little bit more heroic. Like I feel like you can do like yeah. badass stuff and, 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 and put yourself in like really cool situations yeah, but it, it a little also, bit more than Yeah, I guess for me, like I wasn't sure of the quantity, right? So one thing I've noticed about this game is it gives you a lot of opportunity to strategize. There's a lot of give and take in this game. So you can say, hey, I'm going to waste all my hero dice really quick and be like, oh, shit, I should have saved him. Um, and so there's there's other elements we'll talk about too when we get there. But 
Before we do, we'll talk about villain points, which is the exact opposite of a hero point. It, it's it's tools for the GM. So this is the only time really that I guess the GM would um, you know, enact have some kind of currency, right? To that regard. So they can do things where they can uh, called the Great Escape, allow a villain to escape unharmed. Crushing blow, increase the villain's damage by five for a single singular attack. Extra action, take an extra action. At any time in any round, villain's edge, give a player's next roll with a setback, which you've already covered. One thing to note, though, and we do this, it's funny, I was thinking about instituting this with our Blesses and Banes, but uh, hero and villain points cannot be used to cancel each other out. So we inevitably have a roll-off when we have Blesses and Banes on our stream where you know, someone's like, I'm going to bless it, and then Ryan's like, or whoever's GMing is, I'm going to bane that roll. Um, so you can't do that here, right? So you automatically get to use this point. The GM cannot just cancel it out, essentially, or potentially. Well, so the reason the reason we even had like the cancel out, or well, we because ours don't cancel out; they roll against no, each other. They do, is, right? You're rolling yeah. against each other, yeah. But the reason we even instituted that is because we got to a point where people would like whoever said it first. Like we'd be like, "All right, I made it," you know what I mean? Oh, no, yeah, but yeah, I, but yeah, I bless yeah, it, yeah, you know. Yeah. And it was just yeah. like, "Fuck, like that, yeah." But I yeah. think I think if we, I mean, five e. It's a lot different, I think, when we've been running Merkborg or Death in Space and things like that. There's not a lot of times where we've done, like, realistically, as a GM, you haven't used a lot of your your Banes, period. No, I, um, it's funny, because I think because you're, when you're running a game, you're just, you're not thinking about rolling yeah. a die, or I, at least I'm not. I'm, like, focused so much on what's going on. But also, I mean, um, a, 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 a D4 in 5e is not necessarily a failure. Right when you bane that role exactly. it, with a banes in Merkborg and death in space you're basically <laughs> saying all right fuck you on this one yeah, you know yeah um yeah. i do like that though and I, this is interesting and i think we talked about this before with uh player facing roles um or i meant to is i like that it takes away some of the um like uh just player the, versus dm aspect of the game yeah you know what adversari mean? Like, adversarial adversarial yeah, yeah. i'm not rolling against you i'm right. not i you don't you're not thinking i'm i'm changing the dc on you just to right. make sure you fail right. the target number is flat you yep. roll against me it, it does like you said make it less uh, a, a lot less adversarial but i will say i do like a little bit like a little bit <laughs> Yeah, and, I, know. Uh, oh, I know. We know. We know. We know. And uh, I think the villain points is just enough to just be like, "Oh, really? Here's a fuck you." Um, yeah. But it's not necessarily, you know, yeah. it's it's it, it's just a, a little bit of fun for the GM, not like a core mechanic of the yeah. potentially adversarial nature. Yeah. So, but that's the gist of hero and villain points. Um, five, five, everybody, five per session. Um, there's a list. The GM can obviously, you know, if the player has a cool idea and they want to allow them to use that hero point. It's totally up in the air. This is not a defined list, but that's it. And then um, Light is up next. Do you want me to keep going or do you want to take Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So Light, this is what what I liked about this, right, is that we uh, inevitably go into a dungeon, right, when we play these kind of games. And um, what happens is uh, there's only a handful of games that I can think of. It's, it's a lot of old school stuff like OSE has it where it's a dungeon procedure. And so... This says, since many adventures will take place in the dark and gloomy depths, is what I was talking about, of labyrinths and dungeons, adventures must have adequate means to illuminate their surroundings. This is something a lot of people don't think of, like when we played, um, what was it? Uh, Merkborg, and you guys had one torch uh, between all of you. And uh, it's just, it's an oversight for a lot of players who aren't used to going into dungeons. But anyway, what's defined here is um, 
the, the mechanics of light. So torches, oil lamps, uh, they're going to uh, illuminate in a near radius, which is a designation of distance, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, torches burn after 60 minutes, while oil lamps will provide lighting up to four hours per load of oil. Um, and so it just talks about best practices of this. Um, for those without a light source, uh, most actions will have a setback and certain actions like range defenses will have automatic failure. This kind of threw me off a little bit. I think it would be up to the GM discretion because if you're in a pitch black dungeon, I feel like that's more than a setback. You can't yeah. see anything, you know? And or I know you just don't let them roll. Or you don't, that's what I mean. It could be an automatic failure at that point like they yeah. do with range defenses. But um, there's also an optional rule called lanterns and torches in a dungeon. This one I had a question about that I didn't quite understand how you would measure this. So I know time in a game is, is sort of just ambiguous, right? Because we have real time where we're playing the game. How long does 60 minutes in a game? I have no idea. Um, I guess it's up to the GM. But here we break it down further into rounds. So when entering any new room or hallway, roll a 1d6 for torches. On a roll of one, the torch begins to flicker and die out and will extinguish itself in 1d3 rounds. Cool. I love that. But what is a round when you're not in combat? I think that's the one thing that sort of threw me off is like, is it just a, a course around the table, which I try to do a lot when I'm running a game? I try to have like sort of out of combat rounds. Maybe, maybe not. Um, and then uh, and it, it takes one round and possibly an action of combat starts to light a new torch. So that gives you some rules there if you need to light something else. Um, there's also rules for lanterns. The same way you roll a D10 instead on a roll of one, the lantern begins to shed less light and will extinguish itself in 1d3 rounds. So um, I get how that works in combat. Um, maybe that's really all this was. Um, it doesn't specify combat until the very end, but um, that, that's the only thing is you have one light designation of minutes and hours, and then you have another one in rounds, which is combat specific. So maybe some more specificity on there. Again, it's, it's an optional rule too. You don't have to use it, but that's one thing that kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah. How to like it is interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, Durf, um, and I think maybe I think Mouse Ritter has the same kind of rule set for it too, where they have the out of combat time is rounds, um, like turns, rounds, and watches. Yeah. Um, and uh, a turn is, um, no, it's rounds, turns, and watches. Whatever it is, one of them is is a watch is like four hours. Um, and then like a round is 10 minutes. So basically it's the time it takes to explore a room. Um, and I do think they have like a similar, they have a light mechanic like uh, like this as well. So I'd be curious, like you just said, like if this is just uh, a combat mechanic, which it could be, like it says that oil lamps, you know, torches burn in 60 minutes, oil lamps go for four, but like maybe when you're in combat, like there's always yeah. a risk that the torch and stuff goes out and you can just use it as a combat mechanic. Yeah. Or well, if this is just an always situation. Yeah, now that I'm reading the last line, it's it designates combat versus non-combat. So it takes it, it takes one round for the lantern to um, refill it. Otherwise, impossibly an action if combat starts. So Again, I think understanding what a round is outside of combat would be helpful for this rule. I dig it. I really like it. I like, again, I like the the idea that like, oh, shit, I opened a door. There was a draft. My torch is going to die. It just, again, it's more tension. But I think understanding what a round is outside of combat would have been great to know for this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you want to take rests and healing or you want me to? Sure. Go yeah, I'll, I'll jump into rest right here. Types of rests. There are four types of rest. Recovery breathers short rest and long rests um recovery is i'll just jump right into them recovery is an action that can be taken during combat 
and replaces your other action during that round. You may move and take a recovery. So you can actually heal while fighting yeah. if you choose to sack your action. Yeah. Um, to make a recovery action, roll a brawn check on a success of 12 or more. Uh, you heal the amount of hit points on the brawn dice up to your maximum hit points. You can do this as often as you wish during combat, but it takes up your action. I think this is what you were talking about earlier where you said... Yeah, I wasn't sure because there's so many ways to heal in this game. You can do it inside combat. You can, I mean, there's what? There's recovery, breather, short rest, and long rest. But I, the one thing I do like is that it's it's a check, so you may fail. You may sacrifice sure. your turn. So there is that to like mitigate it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think and I think this just further cements, especially when I was reading it, like this is a a, a heroic game. You know what I mean? Like this isn't yeah. like a, a rough like grimdark that's not necessarily um uh a lot of horror stuff to it this feels like a heroic game um and uh i'll say it now and i'll probably repeat it later i feel like this would be a gr of just a fantastic transition away from fifth edition for people that oh, yeah. like yeah. a heroic game but want a better game yeah. like just a but better cleaner more elegant yeah. game but with the yeah. same vibes but know? again this is again it's strategizing it's 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 sort of taking risks right you can say okay i'm gonna skip my turn or i'm gonna take my turn to take um a recovery during combat yeah. you may well, fail that brawn check it's not an automatic yeah. success and then the the amount of hit points is going to vary so it's a risk and I that's why I, I think i like most about this game is that that aspect of it where it's yeah you can do it but there's going to be a consequence potentially so it's choice design in it's a great i mean anyone that knows us knows we talked to sursa victory a whole lot about that and you can check out a <laughs> yeah. lot of his courses literally his entire courses on choice design and adventures and and games on uh storytelling collective um go check those out but i they're great and that is exactly like you just said like what this is there it is a choice do i risk sacrificing an action in combat to try to heal you know, if yep. it was just a, if it was just you do heal by sacrificing an action, I you know I, it would have it'd be much less impactful than being yeah. like fuck like I'm low I need to risk like moving behind a rock or something and trying to heal real quick and going forward. But like you said, it's it's a it's a it's a lot it's a lot of ways that you can heal a yeah, lot of a, times. A lot of, more more yeah. so than any other game I've played anyway. Um, and that's just the first way to heal. There's three others. Breathers <laughs> are after a combat ends. As long as there's a little chance of a second combat, you can take a breather. It's just take a minute to collect yourself, bend yourself up. Um, and during a breather, you can also roll um, a bron You roll your brawn dice and regain that many hit points. So it's not a check. You just roll the dice. It's basically like you get one hit dice is what it comes down to. Yep. Um, so... I mean, if I thought combat was ending, I'll tell you what, I'd sack an action real quick to take a recovery, and then I would take a breather afterward. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say, though, how many of these you can take, so I feel like the intent is one. Which one? Like, the one the minute rest? for breathers. No, the breather. Uh, breather, oh yeah, it doesn't say, huh? It's oh, just no, like one minute. You can do this once every combat. So breathers once. Oh, literally the next line that I hadn't fucking read yet. <laughs> yeah, literally just needed to read ten more words. <laughs> um yeah one separate after every combat which is exactly what i thought the intent was so yeah. good job for reading comprehension and recovery um, is as many times as you want as That's many times as you want one. yeah the breather is the one yeah um 
I feel like a homebrew rule I might put into that um, if people are just always fucking full on health because of something like that would would limit the number of times that you could do that i think that's yeah. that's something that you could add an optional rule to is yeah, just I mean, that's, that's honestly what i thought about this because i feel like i need to play this to understand if this is balanced or if it's powerful or if it's underpowered depending that's the one that's the one question that kept popping up in my head is that i couldn't run the numbers to even understand how this might work at the table so it's kind of like gotta just try it um and i would like to i can't wait to run this uh <laughs> short rest uh, is an hour long in a safe spot. Um, you have access to, uh, you must have access to clean food and water. Um, you just regain your maximum broad dice of hit points. You just get it. You cannot exceed your maximum hit points, and you can only take three short rests in a 24-hour period. I like that. And then a long rest is if you can get sleep, food, or water in an uninterrupted eight-hour period, you gain the benefits of a long rest, which are regaining all hit points. You can only take one long rest per 24-hour period. I like the—I think this is a really good progression. Like, you yeah. have to do a check, a brawn check to do the recovery in combat, and then you just get the brawn dice. The breather, you don't have to do a check, but you roll the brawn dice on a short rest. Again, no check. You get your maximum um, stat dice. And then on a long rest, you just get all your health back. It's a really nice progression up in the different styles of healing. But like you said, a lot of ways to heal. Yep. So for sure, um, we're now getting into combat. combat. We are only 18 pages in. Ooh, I we feel better, like we better this, pick up the pace, huh? I know we're already we're, we're two hours <laughs> into this. So unless we we got like 70 more pages to go through. Um, well, some are like spells and all that, which we can just kind yeah, of. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll skip a lot of that. Do you do you want to uh, take a quick break right sure. here? Sure. Yeah, let's take a quick break. Okay, so we are going to get back into basic combat in just a moment. Um, so we'll see you in just a short second. Thank you for tuning in to the Weekly Scroll Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, do us a favor and give us a nice rating or review on whatever podcast service you're listening on. You can check out all of our info on our website at theadventurearchive.net. You can also find us on Instagram at the.weekly.scroll, where we post our game review scores, Kickstart the Podcast recaps, and info about upcoming episodes. We're also active on Twitter at weekly underscore scroll. You can watch the VODs of all our episodes, as well as all of our actual play games on our YouTube at The Adventure Archive, or even catch us live on Twitch every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central. And now, we'll get back to our episode. And welcome back to the weekly scroll here on the Adventure Archive. We're going over Eyes Beyond the Torchlight from Scott Myers. Um, and we're hitting basic combat. Do you want to do you want to take basic combat? Let's do it. So um, it begins with duration of encounters. So there is a section I wish it would have been up front called Sequence of Combat, which is an extremely helpful bulleted list, numbered list that just basically goes through the procedure. Um, that would have been cool to show at the very beginning, but it begins with um, we have to determine the distances. So there's near and far distance, which I don't believe has been covered yet, right? That's later on, which I don't think we, we understand. I mean, I guess we understand just vaguely what near and far means, but in game terms, I don't believe it's been covered. So, so that's the so. first thing you need to cover. Then surprise checks is next. Uh, that is easily done with um, a presence check versus the threat number. 
So that's 1d20 plus your present stat. Um, and then um, of the highest hit dice monster or NPC, on a success, the party is not surprised. But again, this is up to the uh, GM's will as well, depending on how they're handling the encounter. Um, if either side is surprised, they may not act on the first round of combat. If both sides are surprised, neither gets to act. Interesting. Uh, then up next is initiative. Again, this is an intellect check, like Ryan mentioned earlier on, versus the opponent's TN, uh, 1d20 plus the intellect stat. And then um, on a success, the character goes before the monsters or NPCs. And on a fail, the character goes after. So um, I, I just wasn't sure how to determine the rest of the party, right? Because there's no rule here whatsoever, unless it's just kind of a, it doesn't matter, like in a lot of games, or um, it's just everybody rolls that that check, and then um, it, it, it's in that order. That yeah, I mean, the... I guess you could probably run it through at the table. I would probably just be like, if two went before and two went after, whoever fucking talks first gets to go. I know in um, I know in Shadow of the Demon Lord, they do a thing where they have like fast moves and slow moves, basically, well, uh... fast turns and slow turns, where it's like the good guys always go, and if you have a um a fast move, you just take an action, you just do it, um, and then if you have a slow move, you get to move and take an action, and then. Yeah. Fast monsters go and slow monsters go, and it goes back and forth. But within that, it doesn't matter. If everyone wants to do a fast move, it's just whoever, whoever talks first. Right. So right. Yeah, I, can, I can imagine it's probably that. So next up is movement. This is the first time we're talking about movement. And there's going to be some stats here or, you know, mentions of a quote-unquote move, which I, that equates to it varies per uh, ancestry. So if you're a dwarf, you have lower. If you have an elf, you have higher. Uh, it, it, it equates to feet, I believe, if I remember right, like every one point is five feet or something. But um, just so you know, I'll, I'll mention some things like that here. But there are, um, this is how movement works. So uh, there's a list here. Move to anywhere within your move in squares and take an action. Move and take no action. Run, disengage, and move. So this is the one thing that threw me off a little bit because I thought, oh, there's no attacks of opportunity here, but it appears there is. Because the first paragraph after that says, when moving and taking an action, they're cautiously moving to avoid being struck by nearby enemies and putting themselves in a position to take whatever action they wish to take. So to me, I translated it to, oh, they're just careful and cautious moving into and out of combat. But that's not the case. It appears to be unless I misunderstood something. Um, but then there's also run. That is, you know, you're bolting, trying to get the hell out of there. Um, if any are within close range, which is, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat melee range, um, you must, you, the enemy can make an attack against them. Uh, combat, a combatant who runs, moves a numbers of squares equal to their move plus their agility die. So again, that's another way to add some randomness to it. Um, and then you can disengage and run as well. So you can take no other action that round. You must succeed on an agility check versus the opponent's target number. So a little bit crunchy, not terribly i think once you wrap your head around it but there's a lot of different situations here um that you know need to be mitigated um but yeah i think the one thing that kind of threw me off here is that there's a disengage but then the way movement moving and taking an action is sort of communicated in such a way where it feels like you're being cautious which seems to me it, like you don't you know what i mean yeah it hmm. Because I don't understand it's it, the way I read it is the only time you get what amounts to an attack of opportunity is when you run. Right. But then if you look at actions and combat on the next page, 
there's uh-huh. disengage, which means you can right. move away from an opponent up to move without triggering an opportunity attack. So that's I I I got it on this page, and then I went to the next page, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, this yeah. doesn't seem to vibe it, with those. So it's a little bit confusing. It doesn't because according to movement and combat as written, it feels like moving and taking an action. The the like you said, the cautious is just part of it. And right. why would you then need to disengage if you can just move and take an action? And exactly. it's just the running. So then disengage is, is it doesn't make sense. I think there, uh, unless we find it later, um, a little bit more clarification on when opportunity attacks actually happen and on what move actions would be, yeah. would be helpful here. Yeah. And then uh, up next is pursuit. So this is obviously if one, deci- one side is deciding to flee in combat, uh, the opposing side may wish to pursue. Um, sometimes it may be impossible as noted by flying monsters. Um, but then it's up to the GM as always. Um, and you can also use your move plus run to do a chase over a distance of squares. Uh, if you want to get super tactical with it, if you're using like a battle map, um, and then when one side catches the other, or one side is further, further than far being a game term, capital F F A R away, the chase ends. So. A little bit of gamification there. It doesn't appear that there's any role to determine pursuit, which would have been kind of cool. I know some other games out there have like, you know, pursuit mechanics or, or chase mechanics, which would have been interesting. And, and I think uh, once we get further into combat, you'll see that um, <laughs> there's a lot of specificity around doing different things, right? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of surprising here and there where there's a lot of specificity sometimes, then other times it's a little bit looser, but you know, yeah. again, it just depends on the on the group. Um, it definitely feels like this part's getting a lot crunchier. Oh yeah, yeah, it'll keep going. And so here's what I'm talking about: actions and combat. So you can do not move and take an action, uh, move and take an action. These are all very general RPG terms. Uh, run and take no action. Take a recovery action, which we talked about earlier, where you you know take a breather to heal. Use an object. Uh, move or not move and take two actions. Uh, disengage, disengage and run. So all of these, I won't get into the nitty gritty of it, but um, yeah, there's all rules around these. For example, disengage a run, succeed on an agility check versus the opponent's TN, and you can move, capital move, game term, plus capital, and run away. So yeah, there's a lot of things to think about. I think, honestly, and this is what I was talking about, you Ryan, earlier off stream, is that I think a table would have been super helpful here, just to kind of see how everything relates. Um, to each other, specifically movement in combat and then actions in combat, because it feels like there's some overlap there, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that could have been better, but I also do feel like this is a little fiddly. I feel like there's more, like really, I feel like there's more than there necessarily needs to be. Yeah, like I the agree. move and take two actions, but both get setback part. Like, um, and then the disengage and run part, like, I feel like you can, you can do those things without doing those things. And then I feel like people could potentially forget that those are options sometimes. And then it kind of reminds me of like, I I imagine, and, and, you know, I know he might still be in the chat being correct me wrong, but it feels to me like while he was playtesting this or running it for his buddies, there might've been situations where. They're like, well, what if I want to do this? And so yeah. then he decided, okay, well, I'll define a rule for that, you know? Yeah. Because um, you'll see that later on too. There's a lot of specificity around some of the the actions a little bit later on. So yeah, and it's interesting when when you 
if if like um when the boulder starts going down the hills where you start to well i needed to find this edge case so then i needed to find this right. edge case so i needed right. to find this edge case right. if, if it starts to like really like buff up the 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 rules a little bit more than keeping it a little bit more um to gm fiat a little bit more and it feels exactly. like this one did start going into like well, let's be specific about that like let's okay you want to do that let's do that kind of thing which is fine but i do think it starts here it does get a little crunchy and maybe like a little a little bit fiddly so um yeah. we'll see as we keep going yeah so basic combat this is pretty straightforward so use a brawn as your um as your use your stat to uh determine a melee attack and then range is um agility so that's pretty much it you roll the 1d20 like we've talked about add your brawn dice you know, threat number of the or the uh, of the opponent to meter be twelve, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you if you fail, you miss. If you succeed, you um you hit, obviously. Um, and then range combat rolls is up next. It works pretty much the same. I think there was one difference though. Um, let me see if I can find it. Maybe not. Yeah, I think it's exactly the same. So, um, and stop me, Ryan, if I'm missing anything. Uh, dodge roll. So again, player facing. So uh, GM is not rolling here. The player is rolling to defend. That's what they're trying to do. That is the agility stat uh, with a 1d20. And then you just, again, threat number. Uh, you just got to beat that and you're good. And um, armor, uh, like Ryan said, armor is damage soak. Um, it ranges from zero, which is unarmored, up to three for heavy armor. And that soaks that much damage. When you get hit um and there's an optional rule called minimum one with this optional rule any failed defense characters always take a minimum of one point of damage even if armor or the stat dice would reduce the damage to zero okay so that toughens it up a bit i guess i like it i like <laughs> yeah. it just because of how yeah. much you can heal um i like the the idea that even if your armor if someone hits you with a big fucking axe, right? Even if you have armor that's going to absorb the the blade of that blow, you still right. get a thump of like a big freaking axe yeah. that just hit you somewhere. And I like the idea of like um if you if you soak 100 hits from a baseball bat, like you're still going to be bruised up underneath that. It's like getting <laughs> shot, it's like getting yeah. shot in a bulletproof vest, you know what I mean? Yeah. It stopped the bullet, but you got a big old bruise underneath it. So yeah. I, I like this rule a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool optional rule. And then finally, we're talking about shields. Um, what's cool about here, though, is they don't soak damage like a, like armor does. They uh, step you up one um, agility dice. So if you're a D6, you'll be a D8, and so on and so forth. Um, the only uh, catch here is uh, if you are surprised or being attacked from behind, you do not get that bonus. So pretty cool way there, I think, to uh, mix it up. And then melee combat is up next. So yeah, like Ryan said, this starts to get a little more crunchy. I think there's a lot of uh, stuff in here that could be um, possibly mitigated with some tables, maybe simplified a little bit. Um, I think you talked about again, that when we were talking about before the start, and you said in the last one too, like a lot of this could just be yeah, the way that, um, fuck, what was the table we saw earlier? The stat, the stat table. Yeah. If, it, if table. a lot of yeah, this yeah. was... Um, if a lot of this is written up the same way that the stat table was in the beginning, yeah. you could reduce like 10 pages off of this document and yeah. and make because it a little, it, little cleaner. Yeah, because I imagine like this would be hard to reference during play. I mean, I know you probably have a GM screen and all that, but um, a table is far easier to kind of quick reference, I think, than, than reading sure. these paragraphs. Um, 
Do you want to take melee or do you want me to just keep going or what do you want to do? Sure, I'll, I'll cruise through some melee. Melee combat, we talked about this. It takes place when two or more opponents face each other distance no greater than five feet. So again, we're talking about the ranges that I don't, I, I still don't think we've hit um, the range no, definitions, right? And far no, we haven't, yeah. I think that's, that's something that thing, I would like put I said, really yeah. early in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Since it's it defines so much of, of combat realistically, right. like I would put the ranges pretty early. Um, characters can only have one attack per round, but some monsters have multiples. Um, and there are four types of special attacks that can be used by only warriors. Um, defensive fighting, offensive fighting, charge, and cleave. So uh, those are the, the four things that we're talking about right now. Defensive fighting. Um, Which is cool. These are cool, right? I, yeah. This is a little more granular, but I think like... It's strategizing, right? You can you can defensively fight. There's a penalty. You can offensively fight, but mm. yeah, go ahead. You can uh, fighting defensively grants a better chance to defend from enemy blows at the expense of a penalty to melee attack rolls, like you just said. And again, this is a lot of like um, choice yep. in in combat, which is cool. When using defensive fighting, your dodge rolls have a boost, but your attack rolls have a setback. Mm-hmm. If another circumstance already makes your attacks or defenses have a boost or setback, you cannot use defensive fighting. I like that. Yep. Um, and the GM will decide how many attacks, uh, how many attackers can fight at once using the same uh, against the same opponent in each situation. For example, in a five foot corridor, uh, whatever. But um, I like this. I, I like it. Does get a little crunchier, like we just said. But I do think that this is a game for people who like a little bit of crunch. This isn't a rules light. It's not for meant sure. to be. The rules can't fit on one page clearly. Um, but I, sometimes it is fun to have more options and have more yeah. crunch and have more ability to strategize. Well, and a, I think this a, definitely very, speaks to that. I think it should be said, this is a very combat centric game. At least that's what I'm getting it. When you look at how long the, the, the combat section is, you can see like, that's part of the focus, I think, or at least the, the large oh, part of it. Absolutely. Again, this, this feels like a good transition away from 5e with a better rule set yep. for people that still like the idea of a combat oriented game where you can do heroic things. Yep. Um, and this is just a, a better version of that. Um, not a better version of 5e, but a better version of a game where you can feel heroic and, and, exactly. and do cool shit. Uh, offensive fighting, fighting offensively grants a better chance to attack. Um, when you are using offensive fighting, your melee attack rolls have a boost, but your dodge rolls have a setback. Basically, it's the exact opposite of the defensive fighting. Um, and it's it's cool. I like that. I think that um, Mage is doing a lot of defensive fighting while your frontliners do a lot of all... Well, no, 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 because only warriors can do all four of these things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can really change up your the type of character you have, whether you fight more offensively or defensively or mix it up. And it'd be interesting to see players' versions of that at the table. Like, once you see a bunch of different warriors play, how often do they do each one, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this could have been, like, also maybe tossed under the the class, you know, even? I, I don't yeah. know, like, because it's... I feel like a lot of sort of back and forth you'd have to do, but... Um, charge by charging towards the enemy in a blind fury at the expense of your security. You can deal damage um, and push them back. To charge in a fighting combat, you must be far away, which I still don't think we've talked no, about what that means yet, no. um, and must be able to run at them in a straight line over non-treacherous ground. That's kind of a crunchy way to write that. You must also <laughs> be using a two-handed weapon. Yeah. On a successful attack, in addition to doing normal damage, you push your opponent back a number of squares equal to the damage unless they are more than one size greater than you. You may only charge once in a combat, once per encounter. Mm -hmm. 
a GM it's can cool, stop though. a charge by using a villain point. That could be super cinematic, though. You could like just yeah. knock somebody yeah. off a bridge, regardless of what they are. You know, as long as it fits within this rule set. But I think that's very true. Cool. Yeah, but it also, I do believe this is like you're charging into combat. And um, I'm reading it again. I think that's what it is. Like you can't. This isn't like in combat. Suddenly you feel like charging at somebody. This is literally. I am far away. We are choosing to get in a combat. So I'm rushing into combat with my two-handed weapon up as my initial move well, into it combat. it says, on, yeah, if you check the next page, though, on a successful attack, in addition to do normal damage, you push your opponent back a number of squares equal, equal to damage unless they are more than one size greater than you. So yeah. obviously you're not no. pushing the dragon off the wall, but you could push, like, you know, um, yeah. another humanoid or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and but I think what I was saying is that this is you're charging into combat this is the first action in combat this isn't sure. something you yeah, can do yeah. in the middle of it yeah, yeah yeah um but you can stop that with a villain point <laughs> there you go there you go um and then cleave when two or more opponents are close to you and you have two-handed weapon you can cleave make one brawn offense roll with a setback subtract each opponent's tn separately if one or both is a success you do damage to both of them makes sense mm -hmm. um I will say, and and we've said it a couple times, and I'll say it again because because I I do. I feel like there's some a lot of crunch here, and there's some redundancy, and I think some of this stuff, like you said multiple times, could be could be tables, could be moved to different areas, could be yeah. um, just I, I don't just know. Think organizational, maybe... you know, organizational yeah. stuff. I mean, I feel like yeah. you could really even like cut down the length of this book by by consolidating some things and table tournament yeah. tables. For sure, for sure. Um, more stuff. Ganging up on an enemy if they're on an enemy. All the enemies. <laughs> uh, if more than three characters are surrounding a medium-sized or smaller enemy, attack rolls have a boost. Also, if three or more medium-sized or smaller enemies are attacking a character, their dodge defenses have a setback. Um, a lot of the rules are, are give and take. Yin and yang. If you have yep. one, there's yep. going to be the opposite. Exactly. Uh, optional mob rules. Instead of using ganging up, um, you can use a mob rule variant. When three or more monsters are attacking a PC, have the player only roll one dodge defense with a setback. On a fail, the character takes damage equal to the normal damage for that monster or NPC plus one for each one. I definitely am glad that there's an example here, and I'm going to read that because that hurt my brain. Four goblins, <laughs> T and one damage six, are attacking a PC. The players roll a dodge and fails. The player takes 10 damage... Six for the normal goblin damage, plus one for each goblin. Subtract armor and the dodge dice from 10 to get the total damage of the character. That makes sense. Okay. So basically, if you fail, you take the normal damage plus one for every every other one that's surrounding you. Cool. Exactly. All right. You want to hit ranged? Yeah, so range is obviously, right? It's obvious. It's ranged combat. It's with bows, arrows, but not only that, knives, darts, daggers. Um, also, it says here, a vial of holy water, a rock, a container filled with oil, etc., etc. Um, it's going to be based on your agility stat. There is a penalty, though. There is a setback, in fact, if you are um, in melee combat, right? There will be a setback on an offense roll if you try to shoot somebody with a bow, which totally makes sense. Uh, we haven't talked about the distances yet, near and far, but um, that varies. So if you're trying to hit somebody who is out of range, there's going to be a setback. 
Um, if, if the enemy is more than one range, capital R, another game term, they are impossible to attack with that weapon. So the example is uh, a range is near, but the enemy is very far. So again, I know we keep talking about it, but it would have been cool to have that defined earlier on. Uh, and finally, we move on to actions. Uh, adventurers can move and perform a ranged attack or, prefer, or can move towards an enemy and engage in melee. So this is pretty standard, what we're used to. Um, and then we uh, move on to cover and ranged attacks. And so, again, there's a lot of familiarity here. There's a lot of repetition, but I think it's good. It's kind of reinforcing the game design. So right now here you have, if somebody, for example, is, um, if the target is behind a small window, the coverage may be such that the character must make a roll with a setback to hit the enemy. Similarly, if an opponent that is located behind a rock that just covers up one half of their body may also make the attempt to have a setback. So if they're using cover, uh, the defense rolls will have a boost. So if you are being attacked and you are in cover, you will get a boost rather than a setback. Um, it says here, vials of holy water and burning oil can be used as projectile weapons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the damage is caused, the damage causes the agility stat of that roll. Uh, here's another cool strategy though called aim shots. So you can spend an entire round uh, meticulously aiming at the target at the expense of not being able to perform a move action. This gives your defense a, uh, a setback, though, because you're concentrating on this aim. Um, but also, it's an automatic hit, right? On their next turn, they will be able to fire the weapon and score an automatic hit, so there's no roll required. Again, though, you're gambling, right? If uh, somebody breaks your concentration of aiming this, uh, this arrow or this bow, you, um, you're screwed. If the target has cover and aim to shot can be used to remove the setback, which is also interesting. So, again... I think it's really cool that um, you can see the same terminology is being repeated over and over and over again to create a, a very familiar experience. I can imagine just as you play this game once, you'll just you'll get it. And you're like, oh, that's a setback. Yeah. That's a boost. It just kind of yeah. it works. So yeah. here we are. More more combat. More you're, combat. Well, even more combat. Do you want to take uh, more combat? <laughs> Sure, we'll go through even more combo. Probably cruise this a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, unarmed this is the combat table stuff. I was talking about. Yeah, I feel like super could, could a be a table. table out of this. Yeah. Um, in some occasions, you will engage in unarmed, unarmed combat, like a bar fight. Um, it's uh, same sequence uh, using the bronze stat. You do half of your bronze ice and damage with a minimum of one, and it's non-lethal and always knocks people out. Um, rear attacks. If you're being attacked from behind while completely unaware of the attacker. The attack has a setback to defend against. Uh, likewise, if you could attack an enemy from the rear, um, they have uh, you get a boost. I mean, like you just said, like there's so much consistency yeah. in the way that it's done. Like yeah. it just it's intuitive to be like, well, I'm hitting it from behind, so I probably get yeah. a, a boost, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, underwater and combat, finding underwater. Oh, I was just gonna so, say, yeah, a lot of these could probably like these paragraphs could be simplified into just like a, a quick line, you know? Yeah, just like, yeah. Underwater aerial falling stat loss. Anyway. Yep. Yep. Uh, fighting underwater gives you a step back and dodges get a boost. Um, unless the attacker is a native to living underwater, which totally makes sense. Uh, fighting underwater also halves the character's normal move. Um, aerial combat. Um, someone who's capable of flight. Obviously, if attack is successful, it will cause double the normal damage to their victim because they're shooting down from a high distance. Um, it is also possible for flying creatures to drop objects from a height greater than 300 feet. 
Damage depends on size, weight, and projectile, but a weight of 100 pounds dropped from a height of 300 feet will cause 12 points of damage on a 10-foot radius area. Give me the math. Um, actions from a flying mount, um, uh, like a dragon or hippogriff um, or vehicle. In these cases, give the instability of flight, you suffer a setback from doing that. The damage depends on the size and weight of the projectile drop from 100 pounds drop from a height of 300 feet. Does 12 points of damage on a 10-foot radius area. I'm not even going to mess with that. Falling. When you fall, you suffer 5 damage for every 10 feet dropped to a maximum of 120 feet. That feels like a lot. Like a lot, a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of That's a lot of damage. 20 feet though. and you're dead. Yeah. I mean, if you if your if your bronze stat is is Eight a D8 or whatever, yeah, and you're wearing like one damage soak armor, you're dead at twenty feet. It looks but like you, you can, can drop... roll dodge to reduce the damage. I guess it says at the very end, but yeah, roll dodge. But like you could you could die on a twenty foot drop. You can drop twenty feet. I've dropped twenty feet from the top of boulder walls all the time. <laughs> like without hurting yourself. I mean, it's onto like a a, a mat or whatever. It's on a mat, yeah. Still though, I don't feel like I would die. I mean, it depends. I mean, but you can. Yeah. I mean, if you land on your head, you land on your back, you break your back yeah, and stuff like that. That feels like a lot of damage for yep. um five damage for every ten feet, um up to one hundred and twenty feet. Because what's what's five times twelve? That's seventy damage. 70, yeah. That's I mean, if if your max damage is what 24 potentially you're a triple dead or 62 yeah yeah god i'm yeah. sorry i'm terrible at math stat loss losing a stat dice point is off a terrible um if your stat is lowered to less than a d4 making a zero it gives all rolls a setback no matter the stat or defense used if it's lowered an additional time to zero you're dead i like that smart using an object you can use one however the object um it's on your belt. You can use it freely. If it's in a backpack, it will take 1d4 rounds to dig it out of the bag and prepare it for use. It's a lot of rounds to potentially pull something out, so it's always better to have it on your belt. Right. Um, but it doesn't tell you also how much stuff you could have on your belt. You right. have like there a Batman an, utility belt. There is encumbrance, yeah. but yeah, it doesn't tell you. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's up to the GM. Um, here's opportunity attacks, um, which uh, might have been nice to have yep. up where the opportunity exactly. attacks were when an opponent moves out of close range from a player without taking a disengage action the player can make one attack against the opponent as they back away when a player moves out of close range from an opponent without taking the disengage action the opponent can attack the player as they back away again this could have been higher where it would have been more useful um, two actions, uh, using the move and take two actions. You can make weapon attacks with either one weapon or two separate weapons or use a weapon and a power, but both actions have a setback. Mm -hmm. Even if you have an edge or a circumstance that gives one or both of the actions a boost, they will both have a setback. Okay. Changing weapons. If you do not have the appropriate weapon at hand, you can choose to switch weapons. Um, in this case, you will suffer a setback on the attack roll. Um, small or large weapons is optional to have variations of weapon damage. Small damage. Small weapons do minus one damage, with a minimum of one and large do plus one damage. Um, attacking from a mount and very far away from the unmounted enemy, you can charge from a mount. A mount does double damage to an opponent as long as a charger has a long weapon. 
NPCs versus NPCs. When an NPC or monster attacks another NPC, the attacker rolls a d20 plus their threat number minus the opponent's threat number. If it's 12 or more, it is a success. The damage done um, is the attacker's damage number minus a variable dice. And there's dice here for all the way from tiny d4 all the way to gargantuan d12. Mm -hmm. um and the last part of more combat is the escalation dice which is optional i like a lot of the optional rules yeah escalation's really cool um yeah. I, I dig that one using the optional rule will a help to avoid long combats and b give you the gm some dice to roll each round uh, you'll need two six-sided dice on round one set one of the dice on the table in view of the players when the number one is facing up with the number one facing up you do not roll on round one because you cannot roll under a one. At the beginning of the next round, change the dice to number two facing up. And roll your second dice again in the open. If you roll under a two, so just a one, damage escalates. If you roll a two or over, nothing happens. Increase the dice by one each round until damage escalates. And when it does, the stat, um, and when it does start back at one again on the following round. Um, each time damage escalates, add an additional two points to any damage done on both sides of the combat. So start off at plus two damage on the first escalation, plus four on the second, plus six on the third. I do like that. No, it's great. It's a great, it's deadly. Yeah. It could be deadly as hell, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, take it. Yeah. Okay. I'll take over the next one. We are at, uh, healing and dying. So the one thing that I noticed was weird is we've already talked about healing. So... Could have been consolidated into one section, I believe. Um, yep. But anyway, the gist is recovery. We already talked about it. Potions and powers can heal you. It's a brawn check. Um, potions may also heal you during combat. Potion of healing, et cetera, et cetera. It takes up your action. Uh, death and dying, though. This is kind of interesting where um, the GM rolls the death rolls. So when you hit it zero, the GM does it and may give you a vague hints, a vague hints to you, but otherwise keeps the total secret. Uh, you must be healed to revive uh, to, or revive before your turn um, or your down or, or of your dying countdown or you are truly dead. Players can also revive you with an intellect check upon success. Um, I think you get what one hit point on your next turn. There's obviously some edges and stuff with character stuff that we can talk about later. Um, yeah. It's really yeah. interesting that you you roll the brawn dice and don't tell the player how many rounds they have until they die. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's different. Normally, you know, when, with death saves or whatever it may be, you, the player is always aware of, of what's going on. So, yeah, but I guess you never know. Like, if you take a bad wound, you're not sure when you're going to bleed out. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's always been interesting to, to know when to conceal stuff from players and when to just put it on the table. Um, but uh, that's the gist of it. There's some other things uh, when you're uh, you're attacked, when you're down, you lose one round from the dying, et cetera, et cetera. There's a countdown. But um, that pretty much is healing and dying. Chapter four, character creation. So one cool thing here is it's step-by-step. -step. So the first thing you see is a step-by-step -step guide. You choose your stats, which we've already talked about, or dice on page 38. Choose your ancestry, which is essentially your race, page 40. That's another thing that kind of threw me off. And I always wonder like when to use common terms versus like changing the term just to change the term, you know, versus race mm -hmm. and class, which we're kind of accustomed to. A lot of games do it. I'm just thinking out loud. Um, so you choose your ancestry, choose your archetype, which is basically your class. Take a hindrance, which is definitely um, unique to this game. Uh, a second archetype edge. 
choose your background, choose your gear, your powers if you're a spellcaster, and then you determine your starting hit points, which we already determined was your uh, your brawn die, your maximum score on that, um, and then advancement points, um, which is kind of cool too. I, I like the idea where it's not like a tiered system where you hit level one, level two, level three, level four. You like you can kind of trade these points in to uh, to upgrade. But yeah, stats, um, the way it works is we already talked about brawn agility, intellect presence, and, and what those all mean. Um, but all you do is uh, when you start, you have two options. You can have a D8, D6, D6, and D4 assigned to those stats, um, all four of them. Or you can choose to begin the game with D6s and all four stats. Um, and hindrances can lower the starting stat by D4, which we'll talk about um that in a bit i, I like um, a standard array big fan yep yep um raising stats so again this is the advancement points uh you can spend to upgrade these stats gain new edges and remove hindrances uh however uh characters natural stat cannot be higher than d10 or lower than a zero because they'd be dead right <laughs> or possibly dead we talked about possibly that. dead yeah more notes on the dice order starting at zero uh derived stats we have, um, based on a character's uh, hit points is your maximum. We know that. Initiative is an intellect check. Move is your character's. It's based on your ancestry. So like I was saying, the dwarf can't move as far as an elf, for instance. Um, so it's just outlining all that and whatever your run is. But I think this entire page, was the original drive stats page in the combat section, or is this page just a, a reiteration of the page from the glossary in the it beginning? It might have been the glossary. It might have been the glossary. Okay. Yeah, all I right, think it was the right. intro. Yeah, yeah. Again, but, I wish I wish a lot more of this yeah. looked like this. Yep. Like this could be really more simplified a lot by putting it more into stuff like this. Yep. Yep. Um, and then we have just another table, again, a simplified table, like Ryan was saying, um, of the brawn, agility, intellect, presence, how they uh, refer to checks, offenses, and defenses. And finally, we make it to ancestry. So this is the uh the race section do you want to take it or you want me to just keep going go for it keep going yeah all right so when you choose an ancestry uh you can um to take a second ancestry based edge from the choice of three so all of these ancestries <laughs> let's keep calling that not races um they all have edges right like we know in, in traditional things you know uh, uh night vision or or, or infravision and the old school ways um Elven senses, elves have certain things, gnomes have certain things, half-elves have certain things. So that sort of designates it a little bit away from the humans. But um, if you do decide to be a human, um, you can uh, gain, in the case of humans, you can raise one stat instead. So um, rather than getting that edge, you can, get it, you can raise, raise a stat. Uh, the one thing that was weird here, uh, layout-wise, is how dwarf, I, I love how most of this book has everything on one page. Like mm -hmm. if you if you scroll forward, you have like the halfling on one page, the half elf on one page, et cetera, et cetera. The dwarf kind of starts like three quarters of the way down on the left facing page, which is kind of weird. But anyway, this is a description of all of the edges. Uh, I guess we'll just you want to just like you said, pick one of these and kind of go through it just so to get an idea or. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, how far did you go down to just all of the edges? I'm under ancestry still. Yeah. So are yeah, you so in? We hit, we hit dwarf. I'm on page right. uh, 35. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, um, yeah, uh, Monty Holler. Yeah, let's just do dwarf since it's <laughs> the first dwarf. one. We'll we'll give all the 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 instances of the edges and the hindrances for dwarf, and then just like, then just move yeah. on from that. Yeah. And honestly, at um, the end of this chapter, just so you know, there is a um, an example of character creation, which might have been cool to have it like front loaded. I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe not, but it walks you through in more depth there. But this is where edges are defined. So um, you take the following edge for a dwarf. It's a dark vision. You can see, quote unquote, far being a game term, even in the complete non-magical darkness and take no penalties from low light or lack of light. And then you can choose one of the following three edges at a character creation. Uh, you must roll a 1d6 on the dwarf hindrance table. So off, if you take another edge, you got to roll a hindrance. And that's over here. It's a d6 roll. Uh, there's three um, options, so a 1, a 2 to 3, and a 4 to 6 will yield a different one. Uh, one is Pariah. You are an outcast from the Dwarven people, and um, Dwarves will generally not deal with you in any way, so you're just an outcast pretty much. Uh, 2 to 3 is Dwarven Greed. This is kind of cool. So when precious metals are involved, uh, your rolls have a setback to resist being tempted by gold, gems, and more. I like that because it's not, it's it's mechanical, but it's also like a great colorful character aspect right because you're like "Ooh, look at that gem over there i can't stop looking at it while i'm killing this goblin you know i gotta roll a setback uh finally four and six uh is a pride when dealing with ancestries besides dwarves uh roles have a setback in social situations you know so we're all pretty familiar with that then there is a uh a description of what a dwarf is in this game and this is the first time we see their move value so a dwarf is five so the subsequent pages talk about elves, gnomes, halflings, half-elves, half-orcs, and finally humans, all in the same way. They all have hindrance tables. Um, they all have edges with the exception of um, humans, uh, which I felt like, honestly, I, I play a human a lot in games. Um, I don't know why, because they seem to kind of get the, the short end of the stick a lot. And um, they do have edges here if you want, but I, I didn't feel like they were that compelling. So I and, feel like I would have probably taken a stat. And you'd have to take a hindrance too exactly. to, to get exactly. it since you don't have a base one. Right. So, so I mean, I that feels like a very, that's very, it feels like a very 5e kind yeah. of one. Like the uh, humans, that's exactly how it does it on that. Like you just gain a plus one to everything because you're kind of good at everything, but not great at anything. Yep. Um, that I do. Up. I, I feel like the uh, the hindrances are way more interesting for the humans than the than any of the edges by far. Yeah. Like if exactly. you look at like yeah. survivor, you can survive on half rations. But look at cursed bloodline for a yeah. hindrance. Your family line is cursed. To avoid passing on to your children, you must complete some difficult tasks to remove the curse. Fun narrative part in cool there. Cool narrative, but really like, are you unless you're like a heavy RPer? Do you give? A, is your character ever going to be having kids? Like it's again, it's sort of it's cool like flavor wise but in a game i none of my characters in every game i ever played have ever had kids so that's all i'm saying yeah but, but um, it could also just be like the like your like a bloodline like a like yeah like a motivation for yeah. for just your familial you know Correct. lineage or whatever yeah. but yeah i hear what you're saying like that yeah. um i definitely yeah the the kids thing is I mean, everyone <laughs> plays some some orphan anyway. You know, you don't have yeah, parents. Right. You don't have kids. It's a fucking Disney right. movie. Um, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much uh, it for our, our uh, ancestries, though. That's the yeah. that's the gist of it. So, step three: archetypes. Um, yeah. Do you want me to keep going, or 
I'll jump into archetypes it's, here. I like yeah, these. It's, it's fun. pretty, pretty familiar, but go for it. Yeah. Uh, four archetypes, which I like. Uh, cleric, mage, rogue, and warrior. Really straightforward, standard um, party configuration. If you think of, you know, striker, controller, you know, supporter, and uh, defender here. Um, there's a description of each. It'll give you your armor, your weapons, and your edges for each archetype. Um, which... Which one do you want to... Let's just pick one and go over it. Do you want to do warrior? Do you want to do cleric? Or Because we'll, we'll hit magic um, when we get to... Let's see here. Does warrior have... I, I feel like fighters always get the short end of the stick in games too. I wonder if they have some cool abilities. So maybe we should do warrior. Well, we did. I know that warrior gets those combat moves that only oh, warriors right. get. That's right. The it would be a good... Moves, this, like yeah. you said, would be a good place to just put this here since it's under the warrior section instead of the combat move section. Yeah, because I don't know that so, you ever need to know that, right? If Unless you're a warrior, so... You don't, unless you're a warrior. So this is where it could be. Let's just do cleric because they actually have some limitations and things. So okay. your armor allowed is light, medium, or shields. No heavy armor for you. Your weapons allowed are only blunt weapons, which... I mean... Eh, <laughs> why i mean yeah. i get i get the the push to kind of um fulfill the archetype of a cleric a little yeah. bit which is mostly maces and hammers and stuff like that right. i don't right. see a reason they couldn't swing a sword though I, I um it's, yeah it's just a and, classical uh, thing yeah yeah um edges you can take the following edge divine spellcaster clerics can cast divine powers and gain two cleric powers at character creation um and then you can choose one of the following three edges of character creation if you take a hindrance. I do like that part of the character creation. You get something and you can take another something exactly. if you want to take a bad something for it. I really like that. That that probably, concept echoes throughout the entire game. So Yeah, and I and I like that. So I mean yeah. I'm probably gonna end up stealing that. So I will <laughs> I will. Um so smite healer or disease immunity are the three other edges you can take. Um and then uh so and then there's like apparently a list of hindrances let's just go to page 54 straight to it yeah. and then go directly to um yeah so there is a it says page 54 hindrances are on um they, it is it's just there's no heading which is kind of weird i'll go like on 53 or no there's a background sorry no there's backgrounds yeah i, I think that's maybe just like a miss uh oh hindrances, i think that's maybe just a typo hindrances are on uh chapter five yeah, it says if you take a hindrance, see page fifty-four. Oh, but it's, it's page 60. fifty for the hindrance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Page Sixty-nine actually is hindrance descriptions. Oh yeah, and then fifty is the um actual uh um like uh sorry, table you can roll on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that's go straight to step four, which is hindrances. Um, if you choose a second edge, you get hindrances. Um, for descriptions of each, uh, go to page sixty-seven. But you said they start on page sixty-nine, right? Let me double check, but I think that's. What I wonder if there was a couple of um, yeah, when this got expanded in. Yeah, I wonder if if because I from one e to two e, I wonder if some of the the page numbers didn't yeah. get uh, updated when some extra pages got um got added on. Um. If the rolled hindrance completely doesn't work with your character, uh, please discuss with your GM and reroll. Makes sense. Roll 5d10 on the following table. So yeah, so uh, some cool hindrances. Um, do you want to roll uh, 5... 5d10? Five d10, and I'll roll 5d10, and then we can just talk about like okay. one hindrance each and just do what we got. All right, let's do... Uh... 
Oh wait, I gotta reset this here. Yeah, I got thirty-three. Ooh, I got thirty. I thought you were gonna say somehow we rolled five d ten and got got them both. So you got uh, you had dumb. You dumb. Uh, and I got I got yokel. So so basically we're both. <laughs> yeah. I got a yokel. Nice. Uh, we'll probably pick one of the random one too because these feel like they're they're similar. So let's just shoot down to page sixty nine real quick and 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 look at this. I'll read yokel. Um, oh, let's keep going. Sorry for all you motion sick people out there. To the very um, end, second to last. Yokel, when outside of the safety of your rural environment, your roles have a setback when attempting anything to do with urban survival. I'm a country mouse. There you go. I get lost in the big city. You do. And me, um, I'm dumb. I was weak of I'm I am weak of mind. You take one die type penalty of your intellect and cannot raise intellect above a D8. So I'm just there's no hope for me mentally. That's just that's my yeah. cap. Yeah, just a, just a big old fucking dummy. Um, what is another all thumbs, combat paralysis, fanatic, missing eye, uncoordinated? I mean, these are all pretty straightforward. I think you can assume what uncoordinated and all the rest exactly. of that is. But so, you know, it's cool. There's mechanical things behind all of them. They're not just like flavor. So No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I but they are very uh I think they are real intuitive, which is which yeah. is really good. Yep. Um Fuck, where are we? Oh, we were here. Uh, backgrounds. You get to choose one. Uh, use background and play. Backgrounds grant a boost to rolls when a character could use their background, such as a soldier trying to recognize the heraldry of an enemy, a noble trying to get a meeting with a duke. You roll. Your roll has a boost. You cannot use a background yeah, for is. combat actions. I like this. Um, and that's pretty straightforward. We need to yeah. go over that a lot. Um, and a list of backgrounds. In the back too. They they, yeah. they explain them in detail. So. Yeah, uh, acolyte, fisherman, gladiator, peasant, rural-born. Um, very um, on the very next feels, page, even. Yeah, it feels very fivey. You know what I mean, like in the same yeah, kind of way. For sure. Um, but I do like it. It feels like a little cleaner to just because um, no fifth edition they give you some like um, some 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 stuff well, with per, it. You get a proficiency in this, and you get a thing with that, and like with and that. It, I like how this is just class, right? Yeah, isn't it in five oh. Whereas here, it's not. It's like no, right? you can pick any background oh, you, you want. Can? They just okay. have some. They just have some like you know the 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 charlatan might be a good rogue, you know, but you can yeah, technically be a charlatan it, cleric. It. But I like how this one is super is much more simple. Where basically it's just like you get you get a boost if you use this if you use your background out of combat in some way. And I like how there's like a narrative kind of push for that. That's yeah. cool, um, but without having to add like a bunch of proficiencies and items and, and a bunch of BS. So, um, really straightforward. Scholar is scholarly. Scout, scout stuff. That's yep. it. Uh, step six is gear. You choose three weapons from the list on page 881 or choose a light or medium weapon and two, uh, two armor and two weapons. Um, you can choose three pieces of any gear. Uh, you can also start the game um, with 2d6 gold. I, I like... Eh, there's a lot of times in this section where it's like, check on this page, check on that page. It would have been nice to just kind of have it where you have yep. it in character creation. Yep. Um, and hyperlink too, right? Yeah, well, and <laughs> don't, yeah. Just to say, there isn't like a, a hyperlinked uh, table of context in the beginning. Like this is is not hyperlinked at all. I don't think right. I mentioned that, but definitely need to because that's kind of my whole fucking shtick. That is your whole thing. 
it's a whole thing hyperlink your stuff um gosh you want to do powers yeah powers is pretty simple there's an explanation of these there's mage powers cleric powers mages choose four powers at character creation clerics only choose two uh one thing that i noticed was interesting and i'm not sure if some of the other books ryan has have a exhaustive list of spells or maybe this is it you know kind of like mark borg style where there's not many powers um but yeah there's a shorter list of you know quote unquote spells here um, and then step eight is your derived stats. So again, this just outlines, you know, your hit points, um, your dodge stat, armor, initiative. We all know this. This has kind of been repeated quite a bit already, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and then we go to advancement points. Um, a character's adventure, as they adventure, they gain advancement points. And so this is kind of cool. So you can kind of trade things in. So you can raise a stat, for example, or you can gain a new edge or you can remove a hindrance, which is neat. Uh, gaining, uh, gaining new hit points, um, both raising your bronze stat or buying a vigor edge increases your character's hit points. Um, and there's some rules down here about that. When your bronze stat is raised one step, your hit points increase by two. So just how to figure that out. So it's kind of a point by sort of thing where you score up these, you, you hold it or you uh, store up these advancement points and then trade them in however you see fit, which I kind of like that, you know, some might argue it's a little video gamey, but I think it's cooler than hitting these like level tiers where you just kind of yeah. unlock things, you know, you can no, I, I, I prefer right that. Absolutely. Um, I think there is maybe another typo here too, where it talks about GMC page 34. I think maybe that's a, a core rule section or something. Cause on page 34, it's uh, just a list of the stats. Yeah. So yeah. I think maybe with the update, like I said before, there might be a couple of like random, like tiny little lines dug into this context mm. that, that, yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely some typographical stuff. There's some typos in this, and um, but yeah, that's probably another one. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, um, gosh. On, yeah, we have uh, the final thing is advancement tier. So it just kind of shows you. It's more or less to keep track of: is your uh, character a novice? Is are they experienced? Are they a champion? Are they a veteran? Are they a legend? It doesn't seem like it matters much to the players, but it is uh, advised here that this gives the GM a baseline of difficulty of what types of monsters and obstacles. So it's like a quick, it's like a cheat sheet. So you know, like, <laughs> oh, my party, they're veterans, so therefore I'll do this. And the final page of character creation is the uh, example. So there's a great, this would have been kind of cool, I think, in the beginning, just to get an idea of the flow of it, and then the step-by-step, -step, the, 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 uh, the lengths of it, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like I kind of like this stuff at the end because you can. I feel like if you read something like this to start, if any part of it doesn't make sense, you have to go find it. As opposed to if you get all of the pieces and then when you get to here, this might answer the questions instead of asking the questions. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. I, I guess for me, like, and I guess if it is step by step on pages, like you just literally go through those pages and go through, pick the thing. A... And if you have a question, once you get to this, you can solidify yeah. it. But I mean, I think, I think something like this, whether it's before or after really comes down to the way you think about the game and the way like individuals right. do. Right. So I think like how you, how you read the game and how are the game could be, be very different. So as a creator, right. whether this is in the beginning or the end, I think someone could say, I like this in the beginning and someone could say, I like this at the end. So it's just, you know, right. yep. either way. And chapter right. five brings us to edges and hindrances, which we've kind of talked about already, but this is just mm -hmm. descriptions of what they do or what they are and, and then how they affect the game. Um, that's pretty much it. I don't want to go through this entire list, all these massive lists. No, but no, 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 no. I think, um, I but think it is, 
it is nice that it's just a list and and then yep. again pages of just glossary i mean it. it's all alphabetized which is great yeah one or two of these i mean I, i'd like to talk about one or two like blessed by the gods uh, is really cool and um something like hard to kill so just to give you an example more of these edges we talked about a little bit blessed by the gods is you begin every session with six hero points instead of five That's which cool. is cool so you get one more um yeah yeah, so they're all they're all colorful. They're all they're all useful. I feel like. Um, yeah. But yeah. And they're cool. I mean, that's a, it's a huge part of the game is to do both of those things. Um, cruise through those. We already talked about the hindrances since we did come down and be dumb and yokels anyway. Um, <laughs> and then equipment. And uh, equipment. I don't think we need to do a ton. Starting equipment, uh, you get two d six gold. Um, it's a gold currency. Um, there's other treasures that are part of the game. Um, we already talked about how armor works. Armor reduces incoming damage. Um, how shields work. Shields give a, uh, give a plus one dice type dot bonus to your dodge. I, I like this. I like... There's another... I think Fleo did the same thing where shields don't just soak more damage. They make your dodge easier, which is interesting. Yeah um armor list i guess what's interesting about it is that you'd think like if you're taking the armor the damage soak approach like anything that is quote unquote armor which would be a shield as well would be the same yeah. but it's still cool yeah yeah uh bu 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 descriptions of armor again we don't need to do this a light yeah, armor light um reduces by one medium reduces by two heavy reduces by three we already talked about shields this is like the fourth time shields have come up there's just a lot of redundancy <laughs> in the rules. It helps yeah. you understand it, but it, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, weapons. Yeah. Here's the weapon list. Um, it talks about um, the melee weapons, the the traits that it has, number of hands it takes, and the price of it. Um, ranged weapons. It's all pretty. It's all standard fantasy fare: swords, staffs, yep. spears, slings, um, ammo. Which I don't think they talked about a, a specific. Did they? Is there a specific like ammo loading rule or anything like that? No, I don't think so. I think Good. it was. More well, I think about it's like, just. Yeah. Yeah. Arrows, bolts, and um, slings. So I assume, and I hope it's just, it's part of the attack. Yep. Um, gear list. You know how I love me a massive gear list full of prices. Um, <laughs> a description of items encumbrance i think this is one thing though that that we could do eyes beyond the torso uses a simple encumbrance system characters can carry a number of items 10 plus their maximum brawn stat dice um with a backpack they can carry 20 plus maximum brawn in items um anything over this they are encumbrance and half their and can move half their normal rate they also must take more rest and consume more food anything over double their maximum but how much more rest and how much more food i'm fine Go ahead. No, I said I'm. It's. I feel like with how much specificity is in the rules, yes, there needs to be continued specificity within yes. the rules. That's exactly so. what I felt a lot about this. For example, one thing you didn't mention yet, and you, I, there's no. What's an item? A candlestick, or a giant? You know what I mean? There's no specificity, but then there's more specificity with coin weight. So yeah. you know, like it's not like oh, a candle is one half item. Or something or it's up to the gm's description right. there's no right 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 there's nothing there but then we also get as granular as how much does a coin weigh so it's kind of yeah it's a little little strange but. well and have we have we hit range bands yet 
Did we just totally miss it or we just really haven't Maybe hit it yet? Maybe we missed it. Maybe we missed it, but I haven't. Let me let me try to search. But I mean, I've seen a lot of near and far. I mean, I know what they mean, but right. uh, I don't know that we've had a page that said this is what this, this is. This, means. this is this. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's one of those things where it's in one of the other books, but you would think, you think like the, this it, would it, be it, the book that's like the general rules of everything, but. I don't know. I didn't see anything with the exception of the mentions as we were moving along. Yeah. In context. Uh powers, which is basically and they say also called spells. So it yep. could just be called spells. Um, if that's what you're gonna use. Are used by both clerics and mages. We talked about that. Um I, uh, mages get four spells to start, clerics get two. Um when you gain new advancement points, you may learn uh, a new power by buying the new power edge. You must choose your new power from your archetype list. Mages may also find spell books during their adventures. Copying a spell takes 28 days and costs 250 gold of materials. Um, hero points can be used to customize powers per GM approval. Um, mages uh, can cast cantrips, which are improvised trivial effects that are based on a known spell, which do not require a casting roll. So for example, um, you can make a coin disappear if you have the hide or the illusion spell, or you can light a candle if you have a fire spell. I like that. I, like I think that. that's really. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. It's creativity, right? It allows yeah. allows the players to become creative. You basically have permanent prestidigitation. Yep. I mean, cantrips yep. as well down below is very similar. It's an improvised, a trivial effect, and then um, as long as it fits within the uh, the abilities you have, you can you can do it. For example, here it says. Um, yeah. If you want, if you're lighting, if you have a fire power, uh, you can light a candle with your fingers, for instance. So, yeah, it's cool. Um, I, I like that. It gives the players some freedom. Well, and it gives you like a, yeah, like a lot of uh, some narrative fun without having to to deal with the mechanics at all, which is cool. Uh, casting roll. It's a roll the same as every other roll in the game, which is uh, a d20 plus your casting stat, um, which is uh, presence for clerics and intellect for mages on a success. Uh, sometimes attracting an opponent's TN if cast against them. The power successfully cast on a fail that does not. And you may try again the next round. No, if you attempt to cast the same power this, the next round, that roll has a boost. So if you cast a spell and don't fail, you get a better chance of casting the spell next time. I like yep. that. I would almost but do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And there's a cost too, which I thought could have maybe been added during that. Like what happens when you fail? Because mm -hmm. the very bottom, um, when you fail, uh, does not meet or beat 12, the spell is not cast, and the caster must pay HP cost, losing a number of hit points equal to a roll of 1d6. Which page are you on now? Uh, it's on 83 at the very bottom. Oh, the HP cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I would just stick cool. that right up at the, at the, at the yeah, top. Yeah, at the top. Yeah, so you know, that. like, oh, well, what happens when I fail? Here you go. Um, power durations. I think you talked about this before. Some powers last a whole encounter or sing. Um, some spells require concentration. The caster can still take their normal move and actions, but if they're attacking, it's 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 concentration, just like everyone knows concentration. Um, an optional rule for empowering powers. In some cases, a player may want to increase the power of the spell, such as turning more than 1d8 TN of undead, summoning a TN5 animal, blah, blah, blah. If these, in these cases, the GM can allow the player to spend hero points to add extra damage or spells, increase iteration, do whatever um, yep. at, at the GM's fiat. I like that. I wish 
I wouldn't be, I would be okay if there was a little bit specificity and a little bit more like per GM, per GM. I feel like yep. you could cut a lot of these rules out just by saying per GM um, and just giving a little bit more to them. Yeah. Um, casting powers. Powers can either take up one equipment slot, in this case, scrolls, rune spells, or mages can store them in a spell book. A spell book can hold up to 10 spells and take up only one equipment slot. When a caster uses a power, they may either pay HP costs and hit points or casting on a casting failure, or they may burn the power. You talked about the HP cost already. Um, and then burning. Uh, burning a power requires no casting roll and therefore no chance of failure, but the power cannot be cast again until the character finishes a long rest. So you can, I like that. You can, more, you yeah, can yeah. always do the casting roll. If you fail, you get a bonus to the next time you do it. Um, if, uh, there's an HP cost to things as well, but if you want to not have a cost or any chance of failure or anything, just burn the spell out, have yep. your shot, make sure you get it and then do it. I still think that feeds into the idea that this is like a heroic game though, where like you yeah. can just choose to succeed. Yep. Um, double one, certain powers have ill effects when the caster rolls a natural one on both dice when making the casting roll. I'm assuming um, that's in the GM guide somewhere because there's literally no descriptions as to what. That, yeah, what it would that have means. to be. I think I think it must show up. There's some yeah. type of um, uh, casting. Uh, I'll have to dig through the the core book again. Like I said, I've mostly been reading the players uh, since I read the first one. Um, powers list. Um, power terminology. It's 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 a it's this spell list. Like uh, it literally is written almost the exact same way like a five E spell is written out. Like it's a magic major cleric power. There's a duration. Um, there's a cast versus target number, um, the, the, how the spell works and then, you know, what happens after the spell ends or, you know, when it can recharge or something like that. Um, so we don't need to do a whole lot of those. The, um, we can just pick one fire, for example, because that was above. So the stat die, the, the, it's a mage power. The duration is a stat die, the casting roll in rounds. Um, you cast versus the target number. No, um, you create a single area of fire in a 10 foot radius on the ground, um, or as a half foot thick wall in the shape of your choice creature standing in the fire take the stat die of the casting roll and damage if it is successful versus their tn when it appears and at the end of each round they remain inside any creature that moves through a wall of fire takes 10 hp of damage no defense the fire may spread to flammable objects but is extinguished at the end of the duration or when the caster ends the spell so yep. pretty in-depth like you know pretty pretty gritty um spell casting and, and that's, I, that's it. it there's that's an example the book. of play at the end which i yeah i think it's a good way to get the idea across but that's the book yeah. you know there's a map too the border city yep. of Wolfspire and the surrounding lands is the very last page so yep that's a nice looking map looks good yeah. it's the setting enjoyable that's the game Woo. so we're going to switch over to um a score section we we haven't Lord. done this a lot recently i know we did it with fleo um so let me uh let me go through this a little bit again we we it's five stats um we give a total of up to 10 points each okay. um they are given in uh it is what's what i'm looking for it's like subjective compared to other things so like if you're like well this looks like you know this or that well this game got an eight this game got an eight well then this isn't quite that game so that game got a seven so a lot of the games are in context to each other 
um, yeah. which has actually had us uh, raise some stats. You know, the further yeah. we got in, where we're like, well, we've read 10 games and we remember game number two, like in context is better than these other ones. So let's bump it up. Necronalis has gained, I think, a total of two points at this point by reading more games and just being like, man, that's a good game. I think Merkborg, uh, I meant to talk about it a little bit at the beginning. They dropped their bare bones, completely free oh, yeah. fucking game with no art. That, I mean, if the value Printer wasn't friendly. already, a, yeah, <laughs> if the value wasn't already a 10, damn, it would be, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like how, how much more value could you have than literally getting the entire game for free plus a million adventures on the website? Yep. Um, so the game, the scores are in context to each other. Art and style is the art used in the game, the style in which the game is done, um, very specifically about how it looks um the quantity of art the quality all those kind of things layout and function is very specifically the layout as its readability and the functionality within the system and, and any tools used to help you with your function like a hyperlinked index or bookmarks or any of those kind of things yep. rule set and crunch is how well we like the rule set if it's an adapted rule set um how well is it adapted if it's a new rule set how good is the new rule set in our opinion and uh, crunch is does it uh, meet it does it feel like the right amount of crunch for what it's trying to um, do so if it says rules light is it really rules light or does it get really granular um, originality is across all aspects um, from art to setting to to um, mechanics everything it's a very broad term for just like how neat and cool and different this game is value um, is the bang for your buck like how much did you get for the amount of money did you spend are there free resources are there are there um, additional resources involved beyond the game are there online generators um are there free character sheets are there more adventures that you can buy is there a third party license all those kind of things so those are the scores so we are going to start with art and style uh so Merkborg's a 10 at least in our uh, it's 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 an art book Basically, that is an RPG now bare bones. You don't have to. Um, and that's always the the it kind of starts yeah. from there. Five is average. Right. So starting at a five, uh, what do you think? I would give it art? a five because I think it does the job. It's not doing anything new or different. It feels like it's just supplementing the text itself. I wouldn't feel like it's necessarily below average or above average. One thing I will give the artist is that... Um, it's consistent. So a lot of RPGs I see have art that is just all over the fucking place. And I really appreciate a consistent vision. So I will I would I would probably say a five for me personally. I think um I almost feel like saying six then just based on your last caveat. You know what I mean? Like it's I feel like it's got the art that is necessary, but like having the consistency in the art and stuff throughout, yeah. um, I think it presents what it wants to do well. Yeah, I mean, I'm between a five and a six. Um, okay. I really like that. Let's. Um, I'm. I'm awake and feeling generous. I'm gonna. If you're not <laughs> against it, I'm gonna. No, I'm gonna go ahead and give just... it a six. Go for it. I mean, I haven't been involved with a lot of these reviews from an art and style, but you know, I I do design and art's a huge part for me with RPGs. So. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Well, in the context, and I should bring this up too. Um, in the context of other games, which I literally just said we reference a whole lot. I can bring up the entire score list. Um, Mark Borg is a 10. Um, Troika is actually a 7. Um, because... Say, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, there's a decent amount in it. Um, 
But like Lancer got a six. The art in it is really good, but it has like five pieces of art in the entire like 400 page book. You know what I mean? So it was, uh, it was, it was a quantity, quantity issue. Stuff. Yeah, I think well, it's it a little a bit of balance. both. It's, it's, it's an average of both of quantity, quality. I mean, the first mothership got a five because it too also has like five pieces yeah. of art in the entire zine. Got it. Um, so and the and, art and mothership uh, is, you know, debatable, but we won't get into that. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it for what it is, and it's also the first nugget. It's definitely yeah. better. So, so if mothership is a five, and uh, like Lancer is a six, and Troika is a seven, are you still thinking five, or does that change your uh, opinion at all? I mean, if you want to go up to six, I'm okay with that. I would still say five, just you know, because I know we all have different opinions on 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 what the art and style, how it relates to the game, but. Um... I, I'm not go gonna, five then. Let's go I'm with five. Gonna, I'll, I'll, yeah. yeah. Um, layout and function. All right. This, <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. So, so functionality wise, let's say right off the bat, there's no, um, there's no hyperlinks. Uh, you know, I'm a big hyperlink guy. Um, let me get this out of the way here. Dock that. Um, and I don't believe there are bookmarks out. The entire thing is bookmarked pretty pretty extensively. Um, so at the very least, we do have bookmarks. I think uh, hyperlinking for the number of times that this references other sections, like see page this, see page that, um, not being able to just click that and go to that really, really reduces the uh, like digital readability. Yeah. Um, and some people still, I mean, I, I still obviously like the book when I have the book in my hands, I like to have the book, but I do read digitally a lot and especially in 2022 playing a lot online and things like that. I think the digital tools online are really, really important. So the lack of hyperlinks, the lack of inline hyperlinks, um, the lack of a lot of digital tools is really, um, is really a, a knock. Um, yeah. I'll say the pages themselves, high level of readability, you know, like the, the information is given to you in like a pretty uncluttered way. Um, so it's not difficult to read the pages or anything like that. Um, I think that the the layout itself is really straightforward, um, which is which is fine. Well, I do. Th I it, I mean, like we were talking about as we were going through it, I feel like honestly the layout is probably while like you said it's easy to read, and it's more or less ordered in a in a in a in a, in a legible way. Like there were just so many things kind of all over the place. Like we that's were, the other part. Yeah. We were like finding like we never found out what near and far was. We and, and then a lot of concepts were repeated throughout and then other concepts you had to learn later and it was just but they were referenced earlier and then there's a lot of information that could have been simplified into a table. So I think like usability, like function here for me is it's it was a challenge to I mean you can read straight through it, but you start Un not understanding why things are ordered in a certain way. And I think, yeah, even outside of hyperlinks, it's a, this would be a difficult to sell book. I think for me to use at the table personally. Oh, for sure. I, yeah. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think visual, like visually, I think there's good, yeah. like individual readability, but we, right. like you just said, the actual functionality right. and the readability within the text itself. Right. A lot of things were repeated multiple times. A lot of things we feel like could be in different in different sections. Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, it's 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 like ninety pages. I think you could honestly probably chop off fifteen of those just by turning, Easy. Easy. reducing some of the redundancy, um, putting things in the sections I feel like would fit a little bit better, um, and things like that. So yeah, I mean, 
I do. So it is bookmarked. Um, the pages are readable and there you'd be surprised sometimes when I read something and it's actually difficult to read the page itself. Um, I think, I think for layout and function, um, I'm shooting around like a six. I think it's really, it's, okay. that's much higher than I would, but yeah. What were you thinking? You I think was thinking like a four. Yeah. Because so, like I said, it just feels it's too, it's too like disparate and cluttered and like, again, reading it page down, like the page down, there's a few typos in there. There's, it's yeah, just, yeah, you know, it's just, it was like there were, we kept asking ourselves, oh, do we talk about this yet? Oh, wait. Do we already talk about yeah. you know like to me that that demonstrates sort of i think the issue with the actual organization is a better word of the book you know yeah yeah so, i um so two, so whatever. so what we do sometimes is we'll, we'll we'll just give pros and cons so we start at a five right okay. um i go up to a six for visual readability and for actually having bookmarks which is okay. i mean I, I think a lot right? of documents as you write them they kind of bookmark as you go anyway but then no hyperlinks, um, no inline hyperlinks or anything like that, whether in an index at the beginning, because there is an index in the beginning or on the inline that I think that takes us back down to a five. Um, and then, yeah, I really think that when you start talking about the difficulty in actually parsing information in where yes. it needs to be, I, I think you're right. I think we do drop down to yeah. uh, down to a four as far as that. Um, but I think it would be an easy, easy fix. It would um, be. It's, it's literally a, a layout thing, an organizational thing. It's just a. I think it's reorganization. The bone, you know yeah, what I mean? the bones are there. It's just, yeah, from a digestible standpoint, it was, it was, it was difficult for me at times. And then also redundant. Yeah. And then, like you said, things in the wrong order, things that could have been tables. So, um, I think the rule set's great, which we'll get to. But um, just the layout needs to be gutted and kind of like reconfigured, I would think. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you just said it. Uh, it. It just needs a little bit better organization. Rule set and crunch, though. I like it. I, I really do. like I, it. I like it. I like it. Once I, once I first started reading it, I was like, wow, this seems like a lot of math to do one simple thing. And there's some numbers, like, for example, the threat number, right? can be it also means something else so it's a number one two three four but it also means hit points and but then i think once i wrapped my head around it like i was like okay i get it and i could see the example of play at the end and it all ran pretty smoothly so i yeah. i dig the rule sets it's not rules light by any stretch but i don't it's kind of a weird mix though there's some rules light things like there's only four abilities there's hand wavy like hey if you're a rogue you can scale a wall don't roll for it um but then there's like intricate combat rules like how many mm -hmm. things you can do how many types of healing you can do so it's it's which I, is not, again not a knock that's just a different type of game but yeah. i i think overall I, I dug the rules a lot i do i do really too too and i think what you just said is, is one of the things it kind of feels like um like uh, the kind of granularness of 5e combat yeah. with a lot of the more kind of like modern like os modern like i'll call it nsr we talked about that a little bit Sure. um kind of uh yeah gm fiat hand wavy kind of rulings over rules things like put onto a um a kind of a crunchy rule set 
but I don't think it's in a bad way. I think there's a they strike no. a really, really good balance um, yeah. between having narrative things and having the crunchy things. And like I said multiple times, I feel like this is a, a fucking great system to get people away. Not to get people away. If you want to try something <laughs> other than 5th edition. Transition. But you, some yeah. people like, and I do sometimes too, I like granular combat. I like having classes and and subclasses and powers and spells and maneuvers and fun. things like that it fun, it's super yeah. fun you know especially yeah. if you're at a table on a grid and and really you know able to strategize so yeah. I, I really like the rule set um i do i don't think it's too much crunch um by any stretch of the imagination it never claims to be rules light um so so i dig it um in context of rule sets we we've never given a 10 and i can't ever imagine one where we ever could um oh, especially two people agreeing on a 10 <laughs> um some of the highest we've given though uh cyborg has an eight death in space has a nine um i think the simplicity in the rules actually gave a bump on yeah uh, or, or some are, of the extra bits of death in space those are both um, very different games so it's it's tough to yeah. compare it to i mean i have to uh, think of it in the nature of how it's streamlined here right and it feels yeah. I think it's great because it's consistent. Setbacks, mm -hmm. boosts, uh, mm -hmm. ability, all that stuff is very consistent throughout the whole game. Even though on the surface it feels super crunchy because there's yeah. all these granular rules. But the actual way you resolve that is very simple. So, yeah. um, um, so I don't think this is a nine. When we look at games that actually got nines, Into the Odd, Necronautilus, Death in Space, 12 Years, um, when we look at games that got eight, we're talking about uh, Cyborg and Merkborg. Uh, we're talking about games like Gun and Slinger that had like really, really interesting mechanics where you're literally basically doing like blackjack and stuff like that to play the game. When we hit sevens, we're talking about Forbidden Psalm, Viking Death Squad, Rune Cairn. Um, for me, I think that's where that's yeah, where it's in I, for I me. Say, I would say seven because again, I have to think of it too. Like it's an it, it feels like an iteration, which most games are, right? It's sort of right. like taking 5e, taking some OSR stuff, and then meshing it together in a clean way. So yeah. I, I, would, I would agree with the 7 for sure. Yeah. Um, in originality, um, I mean, it's, I think it's standard. What, what does that mean? Is that like the game so, like so it, rules and everything or just the setting? It's, and the it's a little it's bit solved? of everything. So if, if, if anything really stands out um, a lot, that can, that can put it up. Um, so we're talking about mechanics and setting, which we didn't really go over the setting a lot, but you can even just from the context of the game, you can get like a, a, a um, uh, you can understand yeah, to a point the, the lore I mean, and things like that associated with it. Like I said, it seems like the rule set is sort of a streamlined version of ones that are already exist. Um, the campaign, but, the done setting in, for more, but done in a good but done way, in a good way, but done in a good the way. Yeah. Yeah. The setting, I have no clue. I can just look at, it seems like standard fantasy. Like there's nothing mm -hmm. new there. Right. Um, right. so, um, what are some, what are some games where you've given highly original scores to, uh, highly original cyborg. We really liked, um, because really? there is okay. kind of that. Yeah. We, we, cause cyber, it's cyberpunk. And I know cyberpunk always has like dark to it. That's literally half of it, but the mix of the kind of like gore occult aspect in the cyberpunk really made us uh, love that. Um, and also when you look at layout, some of the mechanics that are in it, like just overall, yeah. it just felt good across the board. Um, Best of Buried had a seven, which this kind of reminds me of a lot in the kind of setting. Best of Buried has a little bit more of a horror aspect to it, um, but the rule set is a little bit more original 
Um, Forbidden Psalm got a seven. It is derived from Mark Borg, but has some cool bits to it. Um, so Red Giant like a six or seven, like around there, probably. I think I'm between. I think I'm between a six and a seven on this one. Um, I'm trying to look at ones that we actually gave sixes on, um, and there aren't a whole lot. I think seven is kind of on our low number for a lot of these. Uh, yeah, we've never given a six for originality because there's always, you know, I even just looking at the um, uh, the rule set itself and some of the fun, interesting bits of that. Yeah, um, for me, the most original and... thing about this game is changing the, and I don't know, maybe this exists in other games, but it's not having a modifier for a stat, it's having a die. To me, yeah, that kind I'm... of was the big, the, the, the original part of this game from what I could tell. Yeah. I like that, and I think that for me, um, I think that gives it the 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 seven. Then, okay. um, even just uh, for some of the really fun, cool mechanicy bits to it, um, yeah. and there are some cool stuff in the lore too. Um, not saying that like standard fantasy with a little bit of cool bits isn't isn't crazy or anything, but I do right. like I do like the setting and a lot of the way that they do the rules a lot enough to to bump all the way up to that, um, and then value. Um, Gosh, Seems like you get a lot what? for your value. You get the GM screen, you get a bunch of books, you get an adventure, oh, right? If you go with yeah. the box set, for sure. Um, like 30 if bucks, you, right? Uh, it was, gosh. Um, I can see it on Amazon if, right now. For, well, maybe that's not the box set, but the core rules is twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, uh, I think the box set is, I think it was, gosh, I don't remember if it was thirty nine ninety nine or forty nine ninety nine plus shipping. So let me look real quick. It's 50 bucks total with shipping for the entire okay. box set, okay. which I think is a pretty darn good deal because this is a nice box and a nice box dice, set. You get you get pencil, and, you get a GM I mean, screen. and it's got like yeah. text on all aspects of it and everything like that. It's four different zines in here. And like you just had a shitload of stickers, dice, pencils, everything. So I think between that um what about third like party said, support or like extra support like once you finish this adventure like is there any kind of content outside of the core book or the core set so i don't know of any outside of this but also i don't necessarily um you don't count that it's not no i absolutely count that but you know compared to something like Merkborg, where we know there's a lot of a lot of push and drive for this you know i don't think this game is as well known as other games um, sure. I think if it was more well known, people would definitely write content for this. I think it's a really easy system to to write a lot of really fun stuff for. Since the if you just think of everything kind of basically as like a D twenty, because the dicey mechanics don't necessarily change a lot of some stuff that you could write for third party content. Um, I don't see a third party license though. Um, yeah, I'm but on that doesn't mean right now. And oh, I found yeah. Red Dragon. It's just another one of his games. So oh well, there you go. We'll have to look at that. Yeah. um so i got a sticker for that um so i'm not sure i don't think there's a lot of third-party content i don't know if there's a third-party license we'd have to ask him um but you get a campaign setting right which is also yeah. a huge plus so many games now don't come with those so setting adventure everything yep. and honestly this entire box set cost about the cost of one D, &D book yeah I, I would give it high on the value value scale yeah. i feel like yeah it's yeah, a yeah. good value when I uh, when I look at some of them, so gosh, uh, we haven't given a lot of high value scores. Well, Merkborg is a ten because you can literally play the fucking game for free. <laughs> for free, it's insane. You can't, literally, you can't the entire game value. for free. So no. if it's that's a ten, I would say like eight to nine, somewhere in there, depending yeah. on however else you guys have uh, 
Yeah. Death in Space was an eight because damn, I mean, 40 bucks for that fucking stunning book is amazing. Yeah. Um, Forbidden Psalms value was a nine because of how, I mean, the books are relatively inexpensive. There's also so much content for it already too. Like that, that really bumped it up pretty high for the availability of things, the expansions you have access to, the, the licenses that you can use with it. So yeah, yeah, I'm between an eight and a nine on this too. Um, we give a lot of eights uh, for value. I think I'm about an eight for value on this. I think this feels good for the, sure. the definitely bang for your buck. If I was sure that there was a third party license, um, it'd probably bump up even higher. So there's always the option that this could go up a little bit higher. Um, yep. Oh. Uh, so yeah. There it is. Uh, there we go. Oh, um, yeah, I, I'm gonna go ahead. I do want to jump this up to a six for the art. You know, in retrospect, looking at it, I think the consistency, having like the the artist having one art style throughout the entire book, um, compared to a lot of books like this, like even Fleo, I loved Fleo, and I really enjoyed the art in Fleo, but every mm -hmm. bit of it is um, uh, public domain. Oh, it's like, like unedited on yeah, yeah on, on so stock art and stuff like thing, that. Let, let me bring that. I brought this up to you before stream, but one thing uh, he mentions in this, so this is all done by him, all this art, it's using photography as reference. So I think this is a, um, a very underutilized technique in the art, especially the indie RPG space where I see a kind of a lot of very rough art where, you know, if you can't draw very well, if you're not an amazing artist, um, you can do stuff like this where you can take photographs mash them together, draw over them. Even Christian from Death in Space, a lot of the content there was generated through uh, stock photography where he kind of manipulated it, made it his own, added stuff on top. That's a, that's a really smart way to kind of create consistency with the art as well as, you know, if you're not like the best traditional artist, like you can make something decent that way. So yeah. I definitely appreciate what he was doing here with that, so. Yeah, I definitely think at the at the minimum it does that. I I do. I mean, there is an okay amount of art. I think if there's a little bit more, because you get you get some stretches where you're going through a lot of a lot of words before you get to an art piece. I think that yeah. bump it up a little bit more. I I mean, um, yeah. I I mean, I guess we have different sort of. Yeah, I, I think like keeping it spread out relatively evenly or where it makes sense, not just throwing art randomly in there because you know it should be as readable as possible. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think I think I'm good with with where we're at with some of this. I so so the big the big bonus for this game is that the the rules are really great. I, I really really enjoy the rule set, and I think it's a great value what you get for the rules. That's kind of the highlights of this. Um, super recommend it as as a rule system and as a playable game and things like that. Um, and then it's it's kind of low points here are layout layout and layout function. function. Just yeah, that's, the, I feel like if that was fixed, this game would be a lot easier to just digest and play yeah i mean i think that would i mean even just getting to like a six or seven would bump this up considerably and that literally just comes down to um a little bit of editing a little bit of reorganization i think more than anything that's the word that i, I would use to define in the critique is just some better reorganization yeah. of some of the yeah. the content and the material and you could reduce the size of the book you could increase the readability of the book um and and that's it but as a as a rule set and as a game love it i can't wait to play it i think it's fantastic so um mathing this out so i can just shut the fuck up and we can get out of here <laughs> um it gives it a 32 
32. And don't forget, if every if average is a five across the board, 25 is average. So this is still definitely an above average game. Um, and and with some reorganization of some of the content, this could easily bump more towards like 35, 36, like unquestionably. Um, yeah. So that is Eyes Beyond the Torchlight. Thank you so much, yeah. Jason, yeah, our man. guest host, our, our, our Death in Space GM, our Merkborg GM, going to be our Cyborg GM, probably going to be our Mothership GM. Oh, yeah. Um, all that stuff, our, our, our Stockholm cartel and free league GM as well. Um, thank you for being on. Thank you for hosting this fun. Um, we'll definitely have to do this again. Yeah, uh, check it out all of our socials, especially our, uh, YouTube, uh, Jason, um, uh, handles all of the YouTube, everything you see on there, all of the thumbnails, all of the organization, uploading all the videos, all of that. He puts in all the work for that, which is very, very greatly appreciated. Um, so do us both a favor and go subscribe. We are pushing close to 400 subscribers on YouTube. I think oh, we're like almost close. 390. Yeah. And that's, that's well, as soon as we hit 400, we're going to start the push for 500. <laughs> and that's just a step away from 1,000. But I think we get some cool stuff at 500. So let's really shoot yep. for that. If you're listening, it would help us out a ton. Follow all our socials. We're on Twitter. We're on we're on um, on Instagram. But YouTube is, is what would help us the most at The Adventure Archive. Um, and then everything else is under the weekly scroll as far as a podcast is concerned. So again, Jason, thank you so much for being here. Um, everyone, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Scott, um, I don't know if you're still here, but uh, thanks for making the game. Thanks for being in chat to answer some questions. Yeah. Um, and everybody, you have a wonderful day.